There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour, episode 13. I am your host, Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the podcast and actually our second episode of the week. I hope you enjoyed March Rundown that I released back on Monday. And uh, I had a second one under my belt and I thought I would share it before next week. Thought, you know, I mean, with everything going on, everyone's hanging out at home. And uh, while you're at home, why not listen to, I'm not going to call this an interview. You know, we do interviews on here. This is more of a conversation, though, this one that I uh, had with two friends, both in Illinois, actually. They, we'll, we'll call them, we'll give them the nickname, the Bad Boys of Illinois. And I'm sure I'm sure they'll love that nickname. Hopefully it sticks. But uh, I, I talked to my two buddies, Kyle Steven and Zach Gorsheski, all about something very near and dear to our hearts, and that is Blink-182. Uh, I mean, one of our, all of us agree, one of our all-time favorite bands, you know, definitely one of mine, definitely one of theirs, if not favorites. And, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to do this with uh, people who shared the love because, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to do like, you know, your top five songs of a band, you don't really want someone who can think of it right away. I feel like you want someone who, who it's a really hard, difficult thing to do. So uh, I found two people who are like me who, you know, they, they really had some uh, thinking to do. And, you know, as, as you'll hear, even then, it's very hard to uh whittle it down or say this is my permanent five but I mean just had a blast talking to them and I'm gonna keep this short because uh, we have a very nice long I'm sure as you saw this is a, this is a nice long episode for you but uh yeah just wanted to kind of set it up because we just kind of get in here so uh I wanted to let you know before it starts you are listening to uh, me obviously Anthony and then the other two voices you'll be hearing Zach Gorsheski and uh, Kyle Steven, both two rad dudes, the, the two the two bad boys of Illinois. And uh, I don't know, we talk all about it. And I guess I will say, um, I don't know, I mean, we, we curse on here, that's nothing new. But I guess I'd put parental discretion advised on this one. We, uh, I don't know, I, I guess it gets a little blue here and there. So with, uh, with that said and thrown out there, I hope you enjoy this. And uh, this is my conversation with Zach and Kyle all about our top five favorite Blink-182 songs on this week's episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Oh, that's so sick. Okay, well, the very first question before we even do like our top five Blink-182 songs, because I'm interested in like this, this, I surprised myself with my list. So before we even get into the songs, generally... Do you prefer Mark songs or Tom songs? Zach, Zach, you can go first. Which one do you prefer normally, Tom or Mark? Uh, I would definitely have to say Tom DeLong songs for sure. How about you, Kyle? You normally Mark or Tom? Until doing this list, I thought I was a Tom song guy, but once I got the general list down, I'm like, wow, Mark is kind of really heavy on this, even though Tom like influenced like most of my life. <laughs> That's, that's <laughs> see, that's why I wanted to ask that. Cause that's exactly what happened to me is I, I'm with both of you. I, if you ask me, I always say Tom right away. My, my gut reaction is Tom songs. I always like the Tom songs more, but I was looking at the list and I'm like, damn, no, I guess Mark has written some of the, if I start thinking about it, like ones that I was really going to say, these are my all time favorites. I think Mark might have more on mine. So yeah, that, that surprised yeah. me. Uh, Zach, did yours surprise you at all? Or is yours kind of still pretty, uh, you know, kind of Tom heavy? 
It's pretty Tom heavy. Pretty Tom <laughs> You stay true to yourself, man. <laughs> so then, you know what? Why don't we start with you then, Zach? Number five, what is your fifth favorite Blink-182 song? I would have to say my fifth favorite Blink-182 song is Please Take Me Home off of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Ooh, All that's right. a good one. I really like it just because, like, I just feel like it's very Blink-182. Like, there's the the octave riffs and, like, it's a very, like, typical Tom's along like, vocal range. And uh, I guess I kind of, like, like it for a nostalgic reason. My high school band, every day uh, after school on Fridays, we would come back to my house and uh, play for, like, my girlfriend and, like, her friend. And uh, I remember we were doing a cover of Please Take Me Home, and they were like, wow, like, you actually sounded good. <laughs> so I was like, wow, I think, like, I, I just like have like a memory with that song, you know. That's a that's a pretty good way to close an album, honestly. That that is. It also has yeah. that like that whole like I've heard Tom say this, and I don't remember his exact words, but like how like some of those older like Blink One Eighty Two songs are almost like he said something along the lines of like demented nursery rhymes, and I feel like the rhyming structure in that kind of has that. It's that like classic Tom DeLonge lyrics where it all rhymes, and you know it's it's nothing complex. I think he goes for more for catchiness. You know what I mean? Like the, I mean, and they're good lyrics, but I think he goes more for catchiness than he does like, you know, really deep or anything like that. I feel like, you know, you obviously know what the song's about, but it's very catchy. You know, that, that melody and everything gets stuck in your head. Oh, I was going to say, especially with Tom Blink songs. And you're right. He did say the whole, like, it's like demented nursery rhymey type thing. He did that in like an interview for uh Ernie ball, I think. But, uh, but yeah, like for, Blink Tom songs, the lyrics are so straightforward that there's no extreme hidden meanings behind it, unless it's like an AVA song that's clearly like there's so much you have to filter through to try to figure out the real meaning. But Tom songs are straightforward, and there's no, you know, there's nothing you have to try to work around. It's it's right there in your face. I think he works best, honest, and I I didn't really think about that with Angels and Airwaves, but you are right, like lyrically i feel like he does more heavy lifting in angels and airwaves yet at the end of the day the simplicity of blink 182 songs i prefer that over it like i think his best work are the songs where yeah it's right on the nose like you know what he's talking about like there's no real double or hidden meaning there it's like nah it's it's pretty much right on the table i I think when he i don't want to say try doesn't try hard but i think the less he tries it almost works in his benefit like like what comes out the first time I feel like he's a first take kind of guy. Like he's someone who you should not overthink the song. Like what you have the first, first or second take is what you need to have, you know, like for him. Yeah. Um, on his, uh, on the, uh, the, that documentary that they did for angels and airways, the start the machine DVD documentary. Oh yeah. When it's like the whole, it's the whole like writing process of that first album. Mm-hmm. And it's it's great, you know, it's a great album, but like watching the behind the scenes stuff and watching him like write the songs, but then also like kind of struggle with like what's the sound gonna be, what's the lyrics gonna be, what's the vibe, what's this, what's that, where with bling songs more or less it's just fucking straight riffs, you know, simplistic lyrics, you know, you know, nothing to really distract you from like, oh, that's a cool sound or, oh, that's a cool little thing. You just hear cool riffs, nice little leads and 
straightforward lyrics. A good example of that too would be like Enema of the State, I think like took two weeks to record. Like there was not time to overthink it. There wasn't time to do a bunch of crazy shit. They went in, wrote, recorded all that. And like, I've read that. It's like, I think two weeks, something around that line where it's like, it's insane how short they did it. And it's like, I just, that works a lot better for them than yeah. Like sitting in there and trying to add all this extra shit. That's just not necessary. You know? Yeah. Now, uh, now, Kyle, for you, what is your fifth favorite Blink-182 song? So, number five, I think, as of right now, I'm going to have the most controversial song on anyone's list. Oh, shit. And it's going to be <laughs> Fighting the Gravity. Really? Neighborhoods. I like yes. this pick. Please, now, please explain why it's on there. So... In a whole, in my opinion, the Neighborhoods album is not that good as far as overall Blink goes. It it was very separate as far as the studio recording. Tom had his studio, Mark and Travis had theirs, and the final product is like a mesh of two different styles kind of making an album. But Fighting the Gravity was A, one of those kind of Mark-only songs, and the meaning behind it is just so weird and messed up. And it's one of those songs that I can show non-Blink fans and be like, hey, check out this song. I think you might like it. And they listen to it and like, this is kind of cool. Who is this? And as soon as I tell them it's Blink, they give me that look like, you motherfucker, you got me to enjoy <laughs> this song. Zach, do you, now where, where do you stand with Neighborhood, Zach? Are, are you a fan of that one or no? I'm a fan of it. It's not like my first pick. Um, I personally believe that the dogs eating dogs EP was slightly uh, like a more blink direction than neighborhoods was. I just don't know how they came off of the 2009 tour. Like just like raving like how how funny they were and like how like fun it was and then they wrote a depressing album i've never thought of how depressing that record is i guess it is a little i guess it is fairly depressing well part of the reason why they even came back together was the whole travis dj am playing crash and they lost jerry finn you know oh yeah it's right ghost yeah, on man. the dance floor was yeah there. exactly so so that whole album is super dark. But one of my favorite things just about fighting the gravity is just the, what I've heard and what I've read the meaning is, which is it's a song about uh, Mark a long time ago, may have gotten roofied or drugged. And the song is basically about his, like what he was feeling at that time. And that's why like, uh, what is it? Like the last line or one of the last lines of the song is basically just like him just you know just wanting to go that's so I, interesting I pick up the and just drive. oh shit yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that's what that's what that was about that kind of that kind of makes it more interesting honestly it makes more sense too actually yeah it, yeah it's weird and people like when i show people they're like is this like uh factor like a like I, i'm not in on these bands they're like a musy type experimental kind of out there band i'm like nope it's blank <laughs> <laughs> now or sorry not zach were you about to say something about it no i was just gonna say like i know i said it was like a little bit dark for my taste um 
I just felt like that album was lacking a little color. Um, yep. But I really like that album too. And I totally went and saw them on the neighborhoods tour and I thought like shit was mind blowing. And I loved my chemical romance on that tour. And I just thought it was, a, it was, it was a good blink album for the time it came out. That, that I think's fair to say. I, I don't know that we were going to get like, like, it's funny to think of anticipation because as we're talking about it, I remember when they reunited, like, you know, a couple years before Neighborhoods, everyone was waiting for Up All Night. They like it was it existed, but no one had heard it. Like, I remember yelling for Up All Night in 2009, like at the reunion show, like people were yelling that shit. And there kept being these little teases that maybe we we're going to hear something, maybe we we're going to hear something. And then it ended up being, you know, what, three about three years later, almost <laughs> by the time yeah. we got it. And it's like. I just think that for all the hype that gets built around that, you think of that. I know for me personally, I mean, I got, I became a fan of them in 2005, like right, like fresh off them breaking up. So like, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know them, you know, I wasn't a fan while they were around. So I didn't really ever expect to get them again. So once that happened, you know, I was just excited for that. But you think of the kind of pandemonium going up and the hype that gets built around, you know, not being a band for what, five years or whatever, and then tack on a few years for neighborhoods to come out. And I, I think it's a good record. I don't think it's their best either. I would never say it's their best, but I think it's probably the best that we were going to get from that time. And also it's another thing where it's the same way. I almost look at star Wars movies. I go, nothing's ever going to be as good as that you build in your head after decades and decades. Like people, people want things from their childhood or whatever to be as good. And it's like, no motherfucker, you were a kid and things were better. Like your life just didn't suck as much. Like, you know, like, like there's, there's a, there's an extent to that where it's like, you know, if Blink-182, cause even I used to be like this and I think I realized it's like, even if Blink-182 decided Tom's like, you know what, I'm going to start wearing baggy dickies again. I'm going to put my fucking lip ring back in. It's time to write like enema songs again. It's like, if they did that, we would probably go the other way and go, oh, these fucking hacks went back and they're a one trick pony and they're ripping themselves off. You know what I mean? And in a way, to be honest, I did do that because that's one of my complaints about some of this like Matt Skiba era stuff where now I'm going the other way where I go, this sounds too much like, you know, and above the state or take off your pants and jacket. Whereas before it's like, this doesn't sound enough like it. So I give them, I give them credit in that where I don't think neighborhoods, no matter what it was going to sound like, no one was ever going to be 100. It was never going to be the Blink-182 album that people built up in their head. I just don't think that can happen. No. Like, absolutely cannot no. happen. You know? No. But it could, but it would have to be under different circumstances. What I would always be excited for, and Zach, you were mentioning Dogs Eating Dogs, but I know they were talking about, after Dogs Eating Dogs for a while there, when Tom was still in the band, to uh, do their next album was going to be like produced by Bill Stevenson of the Descendants. I think they were talking about like self-releasing it and stuff. And it was supposed to be like a punk rock record. And Bill Stevenson producing a Blink-182 record to me would be mind blowing. Like it, like for people who don't know, like I mean, he's produced tons of bands, but like probably the biggest like Rise Against. He did the Audio Karate albums. I mean, obviously Descendants. Um, oh, I mean, every every punk band's worked with him. He's just fucking huge, and he would have been amazing to produce a Blink-182 album with Mark, Tom, and Travis. I would have loved to hear that. I, I don't think it's going to happen now, but I remember when they did talk no. about that about a decade ago, and, uh, you know, that that would have been cool. It'll be interesting to see if we ever get anything with Tom again, you know, in in the band. That would be that would be uh, very interesting to see. Maybe one day. Because who would have thought, who would have thought the, who would have thought Matt Skiba, in 2013, if he said, yeah, the, the singer of Alkaline Trio is going to take yeah. Tom Long's place, you never thought that was going to happen. No. So, you know. No, I, I would have known it. 
you know, so yeah, it's like, so who knows? Maybe, maybe one day we'll get one with Tom again. You know, I, I don't know. And then, you know, another thing with neighborhoods, I, I guess it's, this question's a little weird, I guess, because none of us hate that record. But I got to say, if it was released under a different band, like under a different band name, do you think it's one of those albums? You know, I don't even ask that because you know what? All of us can kind of agree that we like that record enough. But do you think people in general, because I think people in general don't like that record, do you feel like if it was under a different name, they would? Like if you didn't have the Blink-182 name, the Blink-182 oh. name on it, they'd just go, this is a good record? Oh, Absolutely. You know, it, like, like I said, with fighting the gravity, like people that I show that song that aren't fans, they get into it. And those people have ended up listening to that record. And whether at the end they dislike it because it's just blank or whatever, I've had people where they're just like, you know, this is a cool album, but I can't get the fart jokes and the immature humor out of my head. So hearing something like this is too, it's too far off. If it was a different, they said if it was a different band, I'd probably be more into it. But because it's Blink, I have that image in my head of them running around naked and <laughs> little people everywhere. And like, yeah, I get it. But, you know, people grow, people change. <laughs> you do forget that. Like as fans, like I doubt you guys look at them that way either. Because, I mean, they're they're one of our favorite bands. But you do forget that there are a lot of people out there who that is their conception. Like, oh, yeah, that band who runs around naked and that music video that's, you know, 20, 20 something years old now. Like they have this really kind of common a misconception of them but then it is also interesting because it's true it is the same we're the same band is the band that named an album you know enema of the state or take off your pants and jacket and then you know went and did yeah. something really mature like that you know but then again i also say that's range like to me that's also good because hey they're not a one-trick pony i mean look at self-titled like everyone <laughs> loves self-titled and that was you know they got rid of the dick jokes there and you know became really mature and they pulled it off so you know they were able to do that at one point, you know, on neighborhoods, not so much, but I still think it's the whole, uh, you know, the buildup of it. They were broken up for five years. This is the reunion album. And, you know, it was either going to sound too much like Blink-182 or not enough. But, you know, I think overall we got a good album. I, I don't listen to it a ton, but when I go back, I still enjoy it. You know, there, there's definitely some oh, good ones. But I like I like your pick for that, Fighting the Gravity, and that was really valid, too. That makes, that makes sense why you'd put that on there. It, it is a good song, too. It definitely doesn't sound like uh, blink but it's a it's a fucking good not, song you know not at all and that's why i was so drawn to it because it was so different from everything else they've done up until that point i almost wonder what it would sound like as a plus 40 foot do you think it would have fit more on that i'm thinking about that more and going you know that song maybe would have fit on when your heart stops beating would you agree or no am i am i just out of line here yeah i can see it maybe you know you know maybe just change it everything to just a slightly higher key and it probably would have been totally fine something like that it's so low it's such a low voice like like vocal song that for like a plus 44 song it would probably would have to be just maybe like an octave higher that makes sense yeah i i I could see that Uh, yeah if it was if it was changed a little though yeah i think i could see that on uh when your heart stops beating well my my fifth favorite uh blink 182 song is also a Mark song. I ended up going with Lemmings. I went a little old school and went with uh, Lemmings Ooh. off Dude Ranch. That uh, there's okay. something about that one. I, I I think it's the bridge. The bridge really gets to me. That that I've always really liked. I thought that's one of his uh, some of his best lyrics too. I think those are some of the best lyrics on Dude Ranch. And I think one of the more 
kind of serious, but not super serious. Like, you know what I mean? It's a relatable song. I, I think the lyrics are good, but it's also not, you know, like we were talking about, it's not really like self-important or anything like that. You know, it's still a kind of bratty punk band, but I would say it's one of the like yeah. more mature songs off Dude Ranch, you know, in my opinion. But something about that one definitely... I think because it's fast too. I, I like that. I like the uh, the guitar riff in there. It's another one where simplicity. I mean, that's a very simple guitar riff. He's you know it's fucking three notes. You know he keeps playing back and yeah. forth, but it, it just works. It works so well. Like them as a trio in there. Just there's for for as limiting as they can be. You know people sometimes will give them shit as musicians more Mark and Tom than I would say. Uh, you know Travis later on and maybe even Scott, but like. For, for like, you know, as not complex as Tom's guitar playing is, he has some really neat shit on Dude Ranch. I, I mean, and later on, too, but, you know, on Dude Ranch, on Lemmings, it's like, it's it's nothing crazy. It just works really well. I don't know. Any any thoughts on that song from either of you? I mean, are, do, you, do you like Lemmings? Like, where would that, would that fare high on your list or no? Yes. I was, I, I didn't do this intentionally, but I bought every blink 182 album and uh i made sure i didn't buy another album until like i listened to the album all the way through and kind of like understood it Mm -hmm. i bought every blink 182 album chronologically oh shit i didn't know that uh yeah so uh i i really like i understood cheshire cat and like i i i really liked you know, M&M's and Carousel and uh, actually Benoit Balls. But then <laughs> when I got to uh, Dude Ranch, I I was just like, wow, this is really big. I, I think Dude Ranch was the album that really made me fall in love with Blink. And I actually kind of forgot about Lemmings, but like I was looking up the lyrics while you were talking about it and it literally just like reading the lyrics took me to a place I forgot about. <laughs> and, uh, I, re- I really love dude ranch. I, I just really think that that's a good album. And lemmings is a great song and the lyrics are really good on that song. I think that, I think that album too is a nice, a nice place in their career where there's still kind of that band that was on, you know, like Cheshire cat, but they were like, the jokes were there, but they weren't as like over the top, like, they didn't rule so much of the album. Like, I think they kind of got more of that serious as far as Blink-182 can be serious. You know what I mean? Like, like I use, I were, I use the word serious loosely, but they got a little more serious on that than I think they did like Cheshire Cat. But it's also them before they got kind of more produced or more, you know, mm-hmm. kind of more, hey, maybe writing in an intentional sound, you know, an intentional way or something like that. I feel like Dude Ranch is more like a punk band who has a few years under their belt, you know, and could start writing. Because also then, too, you think Mark would have been like, I don't know, he would have been like 25 there. Like, he, I always forget that, too, because I always think he has some of the more mature lyrics. And then you remember, he's he was always a few years older than the rest of them. So, like, Dude Ranch, yeah. I think he was like 25. Enema, he was like 27, which isn't old or anything, but it's like you start going, okay, he's had a little more time, you know, writing songs now. Like, this isn't year one. Like, he's been writing shit now for like seven or eight years, or maybe even at that point, like a decade. And, you know, I, I think it started paying off. I think you started getting those songs, which later on more matured to, I think, like Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was another one where, you know, it was still a pop oh, yeah. punk record, but he still had those mature, you know, like lyrically and shit, like, I don't know, like, Every Time I Look For You is a good one where it's, like, it's catchy, it's poppy, but it's, like, I think it's more mature than some of the other stuff. And uh, I, I think the beginning of that is on Dude Ranch with songs, like, 
with uh, songs like Lemmings, and actually I won't say the other one because it's on my list later on, but it's another example of this, uh, of, you know, Mark, Mark's kind of like that, that hinting at maturity, but not being too mature, you know, which, which is what I like about what I like about Dude Ranch. I mean, that's the other thing I think I realize in my, uh, in my older age here at 27, I find Dude Ranch is probably my favorite Blink-182 record. I think I go back, at least I go back to it the most. Like I notice, and and it's partly like songs like this where I go, you know, these were songs that I've always liked, but I don't think I appreciated until the last couple of years where I still, I started looking at the lyrics and like listening to it more. I'm going like, oh shit, like, okay, no, like this is, this is some of my favorite stuff they ever did. You know, I, I would say kind of that you know they had a little they had a little experience under their belt but yeah we're still you know a punk band but you know that's about what i got to say about that i mean lemmings lemmings one of my favorite songs off dude ranch and uh i didn't really think about it until i was putting this list together but then i did i kind of realized i'm like yeah you know i guess it is one of my favorite songs on there that is that is one of my favorite mark songs as well but uh moving on let's go to our fourth favorite kyle or actually zach what is your fourth favorite uh blink 182 song I would have to say my fourth favorite Blink-182 song would be When I Was Young off of Dogs Eating Dogs. Oh, <laughs> shit. Not, see, this is another one. was not expecting Neighborhoods and Dogs Eating Dogs songs, but I like this. I, I like, I'm like i liking the list. What What is up with that one that you like it so much? I was just, when I heard this song, I was like, wow, this is what I wanted on Neighborhoods. It just had, <laughs> it just had, it had color to it it was just it wasn't happy like the lyrics are about like tom like the first verse is just like tom being like i woke up in darkness but i went about my day and um it's just like a really pop punk you know song and uh i, I just i think it's just what i wanted from neighborhoods and we got it on dogs eating dogs and i was okay with that because it's an amazing song. Great. Like I, I love the chord progression on the chorus. And uh, I think it's cool. Like the weird, like synth, almost like Pac-Man esque sounding synth on the bridge. Yeah. I like, and, I like uh, that comparison. Yeah. I, I just thought it was a really awesome song. And uh, I was kind of bummed when like they called it quits, like with Tom, because I was like, well, I thought they were heading in a good direction, but I guess like they're done, you know. The next album would have been that one I was talking about. That's where the after dogs eating dogs, they were they were supposed to go record, or they were talking about. It. I don't think they ever even got to the point of like demos, but Tom was talking about it mostly. I think of uh, going and recording with Bill Stevenson and uh, self releasing it because, quite honestly, too, I think they made a shitload of money self releasing one of those. Like even neighborhoods, they should have self released because it's like you're big enough where people are gonna that's a blink Two reunion record like if you motherfuckers have the money to release that yourself like i don't know why they didn't do that honestly but uh you know this is this is a thought that i just had let me know you guys tell me but i'm thinking about it and i agree with you dogs eating dogs and specifically that song i think it was a good mix of like of like what they did like because it even kind of has that ava sound to it but it still sounds like blink 182 now, for one, the other thing is they recorded that together, didn't they? That actually got recorded in the same room together, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Whole, so that record did. Okay. Yeah. So that's the other reason. You know, people do complain about that, and and beforehand, I used to think that people would just bitch about neighborhoods and say like, oh, they ain't recorded together, 
and like that's why it's not good. And I would always go, well, I don't think that's the case. But you know what? Then when then when they went into dogs eating dogs and work together, it does sound more focused. So you know what? There is oh. some truth to that. You know, like yeah. recording together, I, I think it is better for them. But but this is what I was getting at is I've never thought of this before, but do you guys almost think that they should have recorded an EP before they did a full length? Because now I'm thinking about it, I'm going neighborhoods, they're almost shaking the rust off, and then dogs eating dogs, they kind of find their footing a little more. You almost think if they would have did an EP first that maybe they could have gotten that shit worked out, and then neighborhoods, you know, could have been something different. Maybe we would have gotten more, you know, more like a full length like dogs eating dogs, maybe. Uh, yes, a hundred percent. Um, the way, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll hold off on a little bit as a teaser, but I'll at least say this is that like the neighborhood record, in my opinion, because they did the whole recording pretty much separately in different studios, that it was basically like a demoing record. Like they, come up with riffs and they'd send it over and they would keep feeding each other out vibe-wise. So you you know damn well that these guys weren't going to be like, hey man, you can really work on that riff or hey, that drum beat's a little too this or too that. They were just there to appease each other because it was, it was, it was the comeback and they wanted to just put something out and still do their own thing like studio-wise. So in my overblown opinion, Neighborhoods is basically in my head like a scratch demo album. I like that. That that actually that that makes sense too. I mean, it's a band who's kind of writing together for the first time again, even saying that loosely, writing together. But you know, it's it's the first time they're writing a Blink One Eighty Two record in you know half a decade, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's some rust to shake off there. You know, it's uh, yeah, I, I think that may have served them better. The other thing too is the self-producing. This is where I don't, I think bands producing themselves. I think that kind of bites you in the ass. Cause maybe if they had some, you know, obviously Jerry Finn had passed away at that point, but maybe if they had a producer on there too, someone could have been more like, Hey, you need to get your shit together. Like you guys need to like write together and do this and that and kind of be like, Hey, this is, you know, you were successful in the past, but it was all three of you. You know, it's not, it's, it's basically the sum, you know, like all of you together are better than you by yourselves. And maybe if they would have had a producer or someone kind of doing that too, you know, and it's weird to say, cause none of us hate neighborhoods, but I think we can all agree that it could have been better. And it's like, I, I think yeah. there's things like that where I think a producer would have helped. I think maybe doing that as an EP would have helped. I think all of that probably would have, uh, you know, would have, would have ended up better. But I, I'm also with you, Zach too, where it's like, I would have loved to see where they would have went after that EP. I think there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of room to go somewhere else. And also, I think on the next album should have had probably Yellow Wolf rapping on every single song, you know? I will kill you. <laughs> I think honestly, I think oh, no. I think we need oh, to go no. back and, and, and do some revisionist history and have him go back and rap over some of the classic Blink one eighty two songs. Like just rip out whole riffs. Like maybe Adam's song. Like take Adam's song at the beginning of it, take out Mark's parts and just have him like freestyle over it. Like, you know, maybe maybe, maybe this you know, I want to know that, you know what, here's a good example. This is actually, I'm, I'm basically sitting here and going to pat myself on the back for my whole thing about how they need a producer. They did because that would not have happened if they had a producer on dogs eating dogs. Someone would have said, don't do that. What are you doing? Do not put him on there. 
No one was there to tell them better. They didn't know any better. Well, that, that was kind of like money. from it. Well, that was partial to like the whole like Travis having more of a say in the band because yeah, if if there was a re- like a big time producer there, they probably would have either said no rapping or pick someone else <laughs> more well known. I would much rather have Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> Now is he That's the one? Right Isn't that Go the guy? Back in history and read the song with him. Oh hell yeah! Get it on. Even like on fucking Fly Swatter, we go back there and just have some like some freestyling on that demo, dude. Yeah, I, I think I really think that's what we need in here. But it, you know what though, that is honestly the truth. Like I and I've interviewed a few producers and like said this, and I'm not even like saying it because I'm talking to them, but I'm like producers serve a purpose in that way where sometimes bands just have stupid fucking ideas. Sometimes you need someone to sit there and go, yeah, that's not a good idea. Like, I don't, I don't care that you wrote like all the small things or I miss you. Not every song you write is good or every idea you have is good. And sometimes you need that. Now, the other thing though, I'll bite myself fucking in the ass for this because on California, my bitching is that Feldman Feldman's a good producer for new bands I don't like what he did with them later on. And we, we can get to that maybe in a little bit. I won't sit here and go on, on the tirade that I can go on. But I, I, I think that's the opposite end, that I think certain producers wouldn't be good for them. But a Bill Stevenson, think about it. The, the drummer of the Descendants isn't going to let you. He'd be like, he would shut that down. He'd go like, what are you doing? And I can tell you that because you talk to people who have worked with him, he'll tell you flat to your face if an idea is stupid. And he would sit there and say, like, Tom, you cannot, like, you need to hit that note better. And it's like, there's no rapping in this. Like, I think, I think, I think certain producers would have really kicked them in shape. And I think if we ever get another album from them, they need that. Because you also forget the other thing, too, is people forget how much Jerry Finn did for that band. Like, whether it's the, like, Tom's guitar tone, I mean, yeah, it's Tom's guitar tone, but you know who, like, figured that out. That was Jerry who told him to do the whole, like, the JCM 900 with the dual rectifier and the, uh, you know, like, the channel switch and whatnot. Like, all of that came from Jerry or, like, playing the PRS on Enema of the State. That was Jerry's guitar. Like, all of that stuff, not, you know, not to say Blink-182, like, Mark and Tom can't write good songs, but Jerry Finn really was kind of the fourth member of that band. And, you know, I I think maybe did more for them than people realize, you know. You, you need a good coach to make a team successful. Yes. And yes. he was one of the best coaches you can have in the scene at that time. Like he had his fingerprints on every like solid, like rock, punk rock, pop punk, uh, whatever you want to call it. He had his dirty little fingers on everything. And he was just able to guide the guys and blink in the direction that kept them from do, not doing like the craziest stuff, but like allowing them to experiment, but pulling the reins back being like, okay, we need to kind of get back on track here. Like we can do this another time. We can scratch demo this, but we need to focus on the task at hand. Oh, I, I, th- I think absolutely. And then you also think about, he died. He didn't produce. We don't need to whisper. I don't think I, I'm pretty sure. Right. He died like around <laughs> the time they broke up. Yeah, uh, no, he. I think he did a little bit afterwards because I think that was part of the reason why they came back was the Travis accident and Jerry Finn happened within the same year, I believe. Because what I'm trying to remember is, did he produce uh, the first Angels and Airwaves record? Because I think that's the other thing with like them mm-hmm. doing different shit is part of it because Jerry Finn was no longer like doing that stuff. But I could be wrong. 
He didn't produce it. Uh, he didn't produce it. No, no, he, yeah, Critter. Yeah, you know, and that's another one. And I mean, not and you know, not to say that that's a bad record. We don't need to whisper, but it's another one where Mary, maybe Jerry Finn would go, "Hey, dude, quit with the fucking synths. Enough of this. <laughs> like you, you ain't you, you. You're not you too, dog. Like you know, you you, you do start to. And it, it, I will admit, I will admit, I love. We don't need to whisper. Oh, me too. I love oh, me too. I oh, it's a good album. Vinyl. I'm not. I'm. I'm only shitting on it in the sense that I think the whole reason it sounds like it does is because there is no Jerry Finn. Like I. I don't think we would have gotten an album oh. like that if Jerry Finn was alive, or I mean, working on that. But I should say. I think if he worked on it, it would have been such a different record that I don't think, as far as like what the record meant to Tom, I don't think it would have had the same impact. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Probably it I think it might have maybe felt maybe it's had more like Blink, and that was the big departure that Tom wanted. That makes sense. Yeah, that that would make sense. I guess you you probably wouldn't use him again if you were trying to. Which in that and at that point too, I think Tom was trying to basically get as far away from you know Blink One Eighty Two in that image as he could. So yeah, I, I, I guess and that that would definitely make sense. Much you think of uh, Asthenia off of uh, the self-titled album, mm-hmm. which is. That like foreshadows Ava. It not only foreshadows Angels and Airways, but it foreshadows the freaking movie that he made of love that took him years to make. Yeah, like stuff like that. And once again, like I went to go see that movie. Like this is this is less of a criticism, and I'm going to say this is more of an observation. I don't think half of the stuff we've gotten from Angels and Airwaves or in Tom's career or Mark and Travis's for that point would have ever happened if Jerry Finn was still kind of you know at Reigns going like. Yeah, no, we don't need to do that. Like, no, that's okay. Like, we we don't need to do the film or this or that. It's ambitious stuff, but I just think Jerry Finn knows people's, like, strong points, and he knows their strong suits, and, like, you know, he probably would say that. Like, you know, this is what you do. Like, quit quit doing that and go back and do <laughs> do this. You know, it, it would be yeah. interesting to see that timeline. But, uh, you know, so so that's a, that's a really good pick, uh, Zach, fighting the – or not fighting the gravity, I'm sorry uh, – what the hell? I'm I'm drawing a blank. What when is, I was young. When I was young, yeah, that's a that's a uh, I like that 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 that's interesting because I was not I would not guess that that would be on there, but that, that is a really solid song. Kyle, what's your fourth favorite? Well, we can kind of just gloss over mine really quick because realistically, I picked Disaster off of uh, Dogs Eating Dogs. Oh, nice. Okay. Nice. Okay, so we got and some Dogs Eating Dogs fans of, here. It, and it's more or less kind of the same things we've already said, you know, like. That EP, in my opinion, is better than the entire neighborhood's record due to the fact that they were in a studio together, they were cohesive, they had a vision, and they put out, you know, this little five song EP that was a banger. And mm, it, yes, true. it was a banger. In, almost every song on that EP could have surpassed any song on neighborhoods. I'd yes. agree with that. I I would definitely agree with that. Except for Pretty Little Girl with the Yale Wolf song. <laughs> if that wasn't in there, though, you know what sucks? That song is really goddamn good until you get to that part. Oh. Without it, it's a great song. Yeah. It sounds fucking stupid, <laughs> the rapping part. Like, now, did it they... just comes in, and I'm like, what? I'm trying to think. Did they ever get a chance? Well, I guess they did play a little bit after that. I wonder how many Dogs Eating Dogs songs have been played live. Do either of you know? I don't even know dogs... if I've ever seen videos of it. Dogs Eating Dogs I... have been played live. I know like the they, song. they've done Boxing Day. Oh, yeah, you're right. I do. Yeah, you know what? I have true. seen them do, because on the 20th anniversary, I think it was, they do those acoustic songs. 
And I think yes. I think and they I went out and played it. Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. You know what? That pisses me off. That just reminded me. I was supposed to see them in Rochester in 2013. I don't know what Travis Barker did that time, but it was about him again that they had to cancel it because they were doing a couple like one-offs, but they were playing Rochester. Now I cannot for the life of me remember why that got canceled. I don't know what happened to him in 2013 it would have been. Whatever whatever went on with Travis, they had to cancel it, and I, I totally forgot about that until right now. That was a Blink-182 show that never happened. Um, and God damn it, that would have been the last time I would have got to see him too. God damn it, that would have got canceled, bro. Then Tom left. I forgot about. I forgot all about that. I was supposed to see them. Then it never happened. They didn't reschedule it, and then fucking Matt Skiba took over. God, that sucks. I'm pissed now. I love Boxing Day. You mentioned that song, and I just I love Boxing Day. That is a really yeah. that, that was the first one they dropped off it. I think that was the first song. Yeah, it was like. Yeah. And it was like December or something. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, it has like kind of a Christmas chimey like bell to it, and uh, mm-hmm. I just I just thought it was like a great song to drop at the time. I want to hear the original because I don't know if either of you have ever heard this, but I've heard Tom say that that started as a joke song, and I don't. I assume the lyrics were different, but he said it was like started as is like a funny song, and then it turned into that. So I would love to hear yeah. what the original was like. I think I remember hearing that, but yeah, same thing. Like I, I would love to hear what that could have been, but I'm glad we got what we got out of it. Isn't that funny though? Because it oh, went, yeah. cause it not only went from like, it didn't just go from a joke song to a regular song. It's a song almost about Christmas. So it almost went from a joke song to a holiday song. So yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued by what he meant by it being a joke song. Like I really, I don't know. I would love to hear if that existed somewhere. But uh, well, if you're a Canadian enthusiast like me, to all my <laughs> other fellow Canadian enthusiasts, we would know that Boxing Day is technically actually the day after Christmas. I Part did of not the reason why that lyric is in the song. I didn't even know what that the day after Christmas. I didn't know what the <laughs> hell that was until that song. That song taught me that. <laughs> I'm a Canadian ass poser uh, apparently. Cause, cause I did not know that until, until that song, that song came out. So yeah. I'm revoking your <laughs> Yeah. You can, you can revoke my fucking Canadian card, dude. Sick. Yeah, give me all of your Canadian bacon, which is just like ham. <laughs> I'll give you my fucking loonies Ooh. and toonies too. Ooh. Is that what they call coins there? Loonies and toonies. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting really off track, but I'm pretty sure they no, call wait, their wait, coins no. loonies and toonies. I'm not fucking around. <laughs> You're fucking around. No, I'm not, dude. You're Canadian, right? You're Canadian, Kyle? Enthusiast. Yeah, only only in his heart is he Canadian. Uh, Well, I was going to say, Canadian bacon is fucking stupid. I don't eat meat, so I don't know what it tastes like. It looks fucking weird, though. It's stupid. It's like bologna that's, like, fried. They're like, it's like fried bologna. Well, here's the real question, Zach. If you had to either eat Canadian bacon or uh, listen to the rap part of Pretty Little Girl on a loop uh, for for an hour, which would you choose? I'd eat Canadian bacon, dude. I love meat. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, that, that's just I, that's my it's, question. It's just like not my pick. Like I, I would rather just eat bacon. Honestly, Anthony, what's your number four? <laughs> All and right, like, moving on. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I would rather just eat bacon. And like... 
All right. Yeah, I'd rather just eat bacon and listen to like Enema of the State all the way through. All right. Well, my fourth favorite is just the rap part of Pretty Little Girl, actually. Wow. Nice. <laughs> no, actually, my uh, my Big number bro. four. Now, this is a song that I thought was great, but now I'm talking all about that Yellow Wolf. This is a song that could be improved by uh, him. But my number four has to be Carousel. And uh, really, mm. the only quote unquote single on my list. But there's something about that song. It's a youth. Well, I know what it is about the song. It's that youthful energy. It's it's just it's a fucking. They're not even really Blink One Eighty Two that that we know yet. You know, like you think about it. That I believe that was even the first song they wrote together, if I'm not mistaken. And I mean that's that's pre One Eighty Two. That's just you know three punk kids playing, and what they got was really really good. I think it foreshadows what comes later. Like like I love Cheshire Cat. But I know some people don't like the jokey stuff on it. I feel like Carousel is a good like example of where they were going after that. You know, where they kind of they were still a funny band, but like I was saying on Dude Ranch, you know, they kind of I feel like it was more better placed. Like the humor on it was kind of in you know it was better placed. It was a little more thought out, I think. And I I, I think Carousel's that foreshadow of what was going to come. But I mean, also for it being so early on in their career, I think it's amazing. Like when like when you look at it, you go like including the other songs they were writing at that time. Cause not every song they wrote during that era is on par with carousel, but just something about that song is just, I mean, I could even, I could even almost put it up, I think further in my list. Like I, I, I love that song so much. And another part of it too, is I think kind of like Zach, you were saying with uh like with dude ranch, kind of the nostalgic party kind of think back to that. And it's the same with me. Like Cheshire cat wasn't the first blink One Eighty Two record I got into, but it would have been, I mean, my first was Greatest Hits. I, I'd heard them before that. Like, like my parents were fans before I was. I mean, I, I heard, like, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and shit like that before I, w- I would consider myself a fan. So I heard that stuff, but Greatest Hits was my first. And then after that, I got Dude Ranch and M of the State. And then I think Cheshire Cat. Yeah, Cheshire Cat would have been, like, I think, like, my third that I heard. But to me, I still think I have that connected. You know, that was still early on. And, uh, yeah. I love this song, and when you called initially, uh, and uh, you couldn't hear me because the phone cut out, I was saying, I'm glad we're starting this soon because I'm still working on my list. I was on my list, and I had kind of fillers in case someone else said it, but Carousel is probably one of my favorite songs. I'm not putting it on this list just because it's already been talked about, and I don't want to be repeat a bunch of stuff, but yeah, it was one of the first song i think the first song they ever wrote that and it wasn't a joke song there wasn't anything too comedic about it like you said it was just like three punk kids playing music but for me i prefer the buddha version that was my other question was which which prefer or what version you preferred yeah, I was sitting here in my living room, like shaking, like which one is he going to say? Which version? And they told me about Cheshire Cat. I'm like, okay, I think I know where we're landing on this. I and you know, I had you know what? I had the same problem too because I jumped back and forth before I honestly at first I was gonna say the Buddha version. I'll be completely honest. And then I listened to them both, and I decided. And I think this goes back to the nostalgic thing that I was talking about Cheshire Cat, like kind of being nostalgic for me in a lot of ways because it was one of the first ones I heard. I think that's the other thing, because I know I heard Cheshire Cat before I heard Buddha, so that version would have been the one that, you know, like, that was the first one. So to me, I think it conjures up, you know, it's the beginning of Cheshire Cat, it opens up the record and whatnot, and it makes me think of that. 
So that's probably why I prefer that version. But I, I normally, including if I'm playing along, yeah, you got to start with the uh, with the bass intro. And I think live, here's the thing I'll also say. Live, I prefer the Buddha version. I like it better when Mark kicks it off, which I think they always do. I don't think they <laughs> normally play it with the uh, Cheshire Cat intro, if I'm not mistaken. I think they dabble in it once in a while, but I think more or less they just do the straight Mark intro. That is also like, <laughs> it's so funny because old videos of him, it took him a long time to be able to play that standing up. He used to sit, he used to sit down live, I know, yeah. to a play that. Dude, it's not even that hard. Why is he such a terrible musician? Now, you know you what, dude? What? Based to your needs. <laughs> Zach, what if Mark Hoppus listens to this? You don't know. <laughs> he's a fucking, Mark he's a Hoppus listener, dude. Suck me off. You know what? There goes your Atticus, there goes your Atticus sponsorship, dude. Good luck getting that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. I know hey, someone hey, who's Marky, not getting some Macbeths in the mail. Mean. Sorry, what'd you uh, say? Mark's in the living room with me right now. I'm telling him you didn't actually mean it. Yeah, please, please, please let him know that Zach doesn't mean oh. it. Oh, I mean it. <laughs> Zach. But w- one thing I wanted to weigh in on was that I think that Carousel might be like like a really good um, representation of Blink's riffing. Like, obviously, that has a bass solo as the intro of the song. But Tom DeLonge's riff as well like is like laying over the bass like solo. I, I just think that that whole song has great riffing, and like that's a that's like one of the main reasons why I love Blink. Like, they're I love the riffs, you know. It's interesting too because for that being like one of their first songs they wrote, it is a fairly technical song for being a Blink One Two song. Like, like even yeah. just parts. Like, even if they're not difficult parts, like that intro on Cheshire Cat. Like, there's there's actual like transitions. There's like dynamics to it. You know, like everything fades out and then goes back to that base in the beginning. Like it's really like you look at it and you go, it's kind of complex and even almost more complex than songs that they wrote afterwards where I almost go yeah. like, it surprises me. I go, you really like, that was the first, that was one of the first songs you wrote. And then you listen to like things on Buddha or even things, other songs on like Cheshire Cat, and you go like, really, I would have thought that you wrote like, like I would have thought like a song like TV or something was like one of their first songs. You know what I mean? Like, Something more like that, or the even song like is terrible. You know, see, I, I like it, but I like it for the, you know, that it's just kind of a funny kind of punk, no nonsense song. It's one of those ones, yeah. like I would I never like put it music. up with like I, Lemmings. Yeah, but how do you feel about the lyrics? Oh yeah, that's what I mean. I don't, I wouldn't put it up against Lemmings or anything like that. Oh, like, like yeah, lyrically, it's nothing. Yeah, like lyrically, it's kind of cheesy or whatever. But I also look at the time and go. That's also what a lot of '90s punk bands were doing, you know, kind of funny, kind of fucking funny, funny-ish songs like that. No, I you get know? you. Like it's sorry nothing shit special. On Mark so much. Oh, it's okay, dude. I mean, I'm I'm not the one you should be saying sorry to. I'm I'm not Mark Hoppus, man. I. You, yeah, he's in fucking Kyle's living room, dude. What's wrong with you, man? Well, he just ran me a beer. Fuck, man. I apologize to Mark Optus. I played his fucking signature bass like a second ago, so I think that makes it up to him. I bought his fucking product. Wait, so. you know what? You know what you have to do right now? Is it still right there? You After you talk shit about how easy that, that uh, fucking bass intro is, I feel like you have to right now. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I feel like you have Ooh. to play the bass intro, dude. 
I hope I'm that's you getting. There. Yeah, I was hoping that was you getting up, dude. You have to now prove yourself, dude. You can dish it, but All can right. you can you fucking show it, dude? Are you ready? Yes. All right. Oh wow. I think that was pretty fucking good. You know what? I I'm giving you a clap right now. I'm clapping. That that was good. That that was uh you know what? Yeah, you you uh you you fucking you did whatever word I'm looking for that I can't think of, but yes, you proved yourself to us. So very, You're welcome. So very welcome. nice. Now <laughs> now Zach, now moving moving on to our uh, third favorite, Zach, you want to kick that off? What is your third favorite Blink-182 song? Uh, I think Kyle had mentioned this earlier, but my third favorite is uh, Estenia. Very nice, very nice. Just because I don't know, I'm I'm not that huge of an Angels and Airways fan. I enjoy Angels and Airways. I saw them twice last year. I thought that was pretty cool. I I didn't think that uh, I was I hadn't seen Towns Long in seven years, and I was like, well, if I have a chance to see him twice in one year, might as well fuck it. So I spent the money on that. I, I thought that was really cool um, just to see him twice in one year. But uh, Asthenia is just really cool for me because uh, I like the synth, the heavy synth in the intro. And I know I, I could do without the, like the weird walkie-talkie, like talking back and forth. But the song itself, I just love the bass, like Mark Hoppus's, like bass line and that. And that Tom is not like going full force with the distortion, like right up front. Like he uses the distortion in the pre-chorus and the chorus, um, but just um, just on the the intro and the verses, he's using like a, a flange on his clean channel, like a flanger. So uh, it's just like. It's like not in your face immediately, and it kind of it's like it builds up as a Blink One Eight Two song, and I feel like a lot of Blink One Eight Two songs lack that. Like they're just like in your face automatically. Yeah. Um. Where whereas like as Benny, it kind of like builds up, and then I feel like the bridge riff, uh, Tom's riffing on that, and then uh, Mark Hoppus is like playing against it and hitting lower notes than the riff, which. To be honest, Mark Hoppus kind of like followed the baseline of what Tom was doing, but he was like hitting lower notes against Tom's higher notes. And it really provides like, you know, an attractive contrast. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, you're really right about the bass. Like his bass in that is like really deep and round and it just works so well with what Tom is doing in there. Like this, there's like almost yeah. a, I don't know how to explain it in the way that I want to, but there is this space in the sound of like, the drums, the guitar, and the bass, and kind of what you're saying, it's not all in your face. It's all kind of, it's in different places, and it works really well together. Like, the range of it, it, like, I, I think it's a really strong, like, like, them really firing on all cylinders as a trio. Like, Tom's lead is really good. Mark's bass is just, like, in the right range. Like, he's just, like you said, he's just kind of playing root notes, but the way he's playing them and where he's playing yep. them, it just yep. really comes together really well. I just think that's a really good song. That might actually, just a side note, 
I know we didn't get to pick six songs, and I don't actually have a Mark Hoppus song in my list. Oh fuck! But yeah, I know. But uh, you really do hate him. Why do you hate him so much? I I, I love Mark Hoppus. <laughs> He's just not my favorite. But uh, going off in this thing called. He, he hasn't matured yet. He'll, he'll find the most things eventually. He's crying in the bathroom, Zach. I hope you're fucking happy. Wow. Uh, but no, uh, I just like... I, w- I would have to say, though, uh, if I'm getting like an honorable mention, I would have to say that Go yeah. is one, one of my favorite Mark Hoppus songs off of the Untitled album. Just because, like, because it backs up uh, into uh, its go to uh, Asthenia. And, yeah, uh, that's just, one of my favorite transitions between me like, too. The sequencing if on I, that record is fucking great. Oh, of course. And like, if I listen to Asthenia, I listen to Go before that. And like, if I listen to Go, I have to listen to Asthenia after. That's I'm good sequencing. Done. That's good sequencing on a record when you have to do that. When you go, I can't listen to this song without hearing like the next one or whatever. That's re- that's and that's once again I think Jerry Finn probably having something to do with that going yeah this is the best transition like that whole album's like that like you never want to skip anything because it just always works so well yeah yeah but no that well, that, cool. that that song is yeah that song's great I mean I can't say much more than I did earlier where I just think it's a great like it's it's foreshadowing what Avo is gonna be and whatnot but it's still Blink One Eighty Two. And I think it's also a good example of that kind of new wave sound that they have on there. Like you were talking about the flangers and some of the different effects that he has on there. It's one of those songs where I think they did that really well. They brought in that like 80s influence that they have. Also on Go, mm-hmm. too, is another one that I think they did that. And just, you know, it, it, it worked really well on that record. And always. Yes, always, always is another good example of that. The, the writing on always is just, in my opinion, it's like one of the most perfectly written Blink songs. I'd have to with, agree with you know, that. How dynamic it really is, but how simplistic musically, like if like if you listen to it just bare bones, it's it's great. But then once you start hearing all the other little layers that they have to it, it's 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 like a masterpiece. Travis's drums too, if you think about it, like he's not doing anything crazy, but I think it's complex for like as far I'm not a, really a drummer, but like if you look at what he's playing, it seems complex, but he's never really overplaying on it. But it's no. like it's such a driving force too, though. You know, like what he's what he, and he's doing different shit too. I mean, he's doing things you really don't hear him do on a you know like conventional Blink One Eighty Two song, and it just works. I, they're all kind of doing that though on there. I guess all of them are kind of doing things they normally don't. I mean, the only other time Mark plays an intro like that is on Josie. Like that's the only thing I can think of that comes close to like some of that stuff that he does like on bass and whatnot. And you know, Tom definitely didn't normally play guitar like that. And the tone is great too. I mean, that build up in there, you know, that kind of half clean, half dirty kind of sound was just—it was great. I mean, that 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 album. I'm I'm not saying anything. No one is, you know, everyone said it a hundred times, but that album's just so goddamn good. Self-titled. That's yeah, a, a, a good mixture of mature but not overly mature, you know, or self-important or anything like that. But how about you, Kyle? What is your third favorite uh, Blink One Eighty Two song? So I literally just pulled an audible on my list. And I scratched off one of my favorite songs because well, I won't get into it right now. But I'm going to go Los Angeles. Ooh, off of interesting. It is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Primarily because 
So when Blink announced that they were going to have Matt Skiba as a quote-unquote Chicago, Illinois guy, like Matt Skiba is like on the top of the pedestal for me as far as like of course. musicians that like made it, that like stuck to a sound that like I loved. And no matter what he did, it's kind of like for me and Tom, like, uh, Tom DeLonge. Anytime he put something out, I was going to check it out. So anytime Matt Skiba himself did something, whether it was, you know, Heavens or The Hell or whatever, Matt Skiba and The Secrets, whatever he did, like, I was going to check it out. So when I heard he was going to be in Blink, this was the song that I was kind of looking for as an introduction to Matt Skiba in Blink. It's his, on that record, it's like his first song where it's like, this is a Skiba written song. Yes, Mark had a say, and I'm sure Feldman had a say, but this song sounds so Matt Skiba that this was kind of me leaning into like, okay, this is what he's really going to provide to the band, not just playing whatever Mark writes or whatever Feldman writes and just kind of, you know, doing what they're going to do. This was his, in my opinion, this is like his baby on the song. Like, you can have all the other songs, Mark, but let this one be mine. I like and what you... Jim... Oh. oh, no, sorry, dude. Go ahead. Oh, all I was going to just add on to it was just the fact that, like, the music on it, like, yes, the typical, like, you say, oh, it's dark and stuff like this, which Blink says about every record nowadays. But just having, like, this really dark, cool story that has nothing to really do with the the ex-girlfriend or you know trouble times with your family or whatever it's about just the environment that's around you and seeing things and experiencing things almost in the sense like a politically driven song but there's no politics about it it's just experiencing the life of what is in what's around you and just really kind of getting into it and it's really gritty and Mark doesn't really do a whole lot on the song except for like a pre-chorus and kind of little echoey, you know, lines in the background. And I don't know. It's just, as a Matt Skiba lover, like that's what I was hoping for. It makes sense what you're saying too, like, cause that is, that's track four on a California and it is kind of, it is the first time. I mean, you know, Skiba sings obviously on the first couple songs, but you are right. That is more of a, kind of traditional blink 182 sound they're kind of more mark songs i would say overall that is the first song on there that's really kind of like okay this is yeah like matt skiba had a say in this you go like okay this isn't just like mark writing songs and going hey here you go i I can definitely see what you're saying you know with that zach i mean like how do you i guess we've talked about a little i don't know all your views on california zach but i mean are, are you a fan of that song at all uh, I am a fan of Los Angeles. Uh, I, you guys were talking about, you wouldn't have like predicted that Matt Skiba would have been in Blink-182, but I don't want to be like the fucking, I told you so kind of guy, but like, you know, when you're like really young. So I got into Blink when I was like 11, but like, I was like balls deep by like 13. Uh, <laughs> We can say these kind of things. It's a podcast. I was balls deep at this point. Now, were you ba- I, were you B-A-L-L-S or you B-A-W-L-S deep? Was, this is, this uh, is important. B-A-L-L-S. <laughs> okay, just double. I'm sorry. Go on. But anyway, uh, 
I I always kind of like I remember sitting in my room like, and uh, my first Alkaline Trio song was "We've Had Enough," and uh, I was just thinking that uh, you know, I was like listening to other trios, and I was like, you know, it would be ideal if like I because you know Tom quit the band in like two thousand three or four. Um, or five actually it was actually probably 2005 but um I always like would imagine like if Tom quit the band again like who would replace him you know I, I thought about this I was like well it'd be really cool if Billy Joe did it from Green Day and I was like well Green Day is like on a like a different pedestal I don't think Billy Joe would ever like fill in for Tom DeLong. and I was like well Alkaline Trio is also like, you know, a three piece. And uh, I, I was like, I think he would fit like, just like based off of listening to like Good Morning. And uh, I, I always thought like, I think Matt Skiba could fit in Blink-182. And then like, that was, I think it was, it was like 2000 nine-ish that I was thinking that like right after the reunion so it was it was like literally they were together uh Tom's along and like the whole band were together for like years after that but I did have that thought of Matt Skiba joining Blink-182 uh well, that's interesting while, while I was like 13 years old <laughs> damn yeah. dude and the, and the thing that for me that I I love talking about, especially with this, this California record, because obviously it's the first without Tom and it's a completely different vocalist. Uh, and kind of referring to the word that we used earlier with the whole revisionist history. I've talked about this numerous times where like, say, you know, okay, yes, Tom quit the band and there's so many people that are like, well, it's not blink without Tom, blah, blah, blah. Go back and say Mark quit the band. And they decided to go and continue on. Well, he did a long time ago, but I'm saying like in this current day and age, if he quit the band, my first pick to replace him to do a new blink second, like a California style album with a new bassist and vocalist, Mike Herrera from MXPX. Oh, damn. Really? I would like to hear that actually. Right. I think it would be so good. I've never thought of that. What if Mark left? What if Mark left and Mike Carrera filled in? Is it still Blink? Like, well, yeah, because Tom. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's quote unquote Tom's band, but it wasn't like he started the band, had the name, and then was like, guys, join me. It was like a group effort. So, like, I always say it's Mark and Tom's band first. And so, if Mark was gone and someone else filled in, it's still the same band, in my opinion. Yes, it's going to vocally sound different. The songs, writing's going to be a little bit different, but. I, I would be so excited to hear that first Mike Herrera driven song in a blink style. That'd be interesting. Honestly, okay. now that you say that you're like opening a floodgate in my head. Like I'm trying to think like, I would love to hear that. I love, I love Mike Herrera and MXPX. That would be so interesting to hear that, how that yeah. would sound. Even the bass point. Who would, who would be your villain? I mean, obviously, I, you know what I'm going to say, but if I had to think about it and it wasn't Yellow Wolf, um, I've never thought of this much, honestly. 
Like I'm <laughs> fuck you, dude. <laughs> like honestly, like I'm trying. I honestly thought that's what you were uh, like. You were you were getting ready for me to say that. To be honest, but if I had to be serious and I thought about it, like man, that's really tough. I have to think for a second. Mike Carrera is really interesting, and I'd also like to see what he would do with base. Because what I like about Mike Carrera, I, I, I won't steal your idea, but just what I want to add on to is that live, what I like what Mike does is for MXPX songs, he'll like throw in some bass fills and do a little improvising that he didn't do on the studio record. So I'd be interested to see him not only sing those Blink-182 songs, but to go in and almost kind of like add these little, you know, like things to Mark's playing. Because, you know, Mark's a lot more kind of in pocket just playing root notes he'll throw fifths and stuff in there but he's not really someone who plays fills where i would love to hear what mark would do or mike would do with that um as far as someone replacing are we talking tom or mark i guess that's the other important thing mark fuck who would be a good Ooh. i would love to see now the, the vocal contrast is not ideal but I'm a big All-American Rejects fan, and I think it would be cool to have Tyson Ritter fill in for Mark Hoppus. That could be interesting. I just yeah, had my... Be real interesting. My, my yeah. thought that I just had, and I, and I would say... I don't know. I'm thinking current day, maybe not so much, because I think he has trouble singing the old songs because of his voice just growing up. But I was almost thinking of Kenny Vasoli. I'm almost thinking, what would Ooh, Kenny sound that was like? My second, that was my what second would Kenny pick. sound like on fucking Mark songs? Like now, I think that was my about it. Pick, dude. That's so funny, dude. Like that's because I'm thinking of like bass player, like someone who sings and that plays thing. bass, and yes. like that. Okay, say it like you so mean good. it, like a register oh like that, God. like his old register. I would love to hear it like that, like still present day too. But you know, he sings in a in a lower range now, just because you know he's not fucking seventeen anymore. But to think of like starting line Kenny Vasoli circa like two thousand two singing like "What's My Age Again" or something like that, I'm like, I I could get behind that. I think, I I think oh, I would well, like I, to hear now, that. Now, Kyle, uh, are you a starting line fan? Yes. Uh, I, I got into them with say like, you mean it, like most people did, you yeah. know, the, but the follow-up record I liked, but I never really stuck around after that. But I will say I did see Kenny Vasoli when he did his like quote unquote solo band personnel. Yeah. I saw him tour with like under oath and devil wears Prada and like sales oh, in like forever ago. And they were the opening band, and I thought it was, like, so rad to see, like, someone from, like, the scene that I genuinely loved going off and doing a completely different, like, style. And, like, I wasn't super into it, but I was like, oh, it's Kenny Vasoli. And, you know, I like I liked what he did with the starting line, so I'll check this out. Now, honestly, like, I know who person like, I know of personnel, but I've never really listened to them. Were they out of place on that lineup, or, or were they heavier? No, they were they were so chill. Like realistically, personnel was like a band that like Kenny started because like, he just started smoking a lot of pot and like <laughs> more, play more chill kind of not trippy but like more chill laid back songs and that's what it turned. So into. like so like personnel was him getting into weed, but then vacationer. Oh, that's like, that's you know, I fucking I love weed by so vacationer. Uh, no, he's like I think I'm gonna do like some hard shit now, and then like he started vacationer. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, if, if personnel is, like, kind of dabbling into fucking weed, I would say, yeah, vacationer's full, full-on pothead. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that either. I like vacation. I actually like vacationer, and I saw them open for a Hello Goodbye in, like, 2014, and they put on a great oh, show. Goofy. What was that? I said, let's get Cincy with Hello oh, Goodbye. <laughs> this was actually Ooh, after they Hello dropped Bye. it. I'm not a big fan. No, nah, this was this was after they dropped it. They were doing that more indie rock stuff at that point in, like, oh, 2014. Okay. It was kind Yo, of guys. like in that middle. But, yeah, like Vacationer, dude. Rocky indie stuff. <laughs> yeah, that rocky. Indie- <laughs> yes. I it- lost, hey, I got I to gotta make an announcement. I lost my virginity, the shimmy shimmy quarter turn by Hello Goodbye. Yeah. That's fine, but I yeah, you have to know I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, don't cut it out, but it's 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 not a fact. But I just wanted to say it because I thought it'd be kind of weird to say. It. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually thank you for the factoid. <laughs> I don't yeah, even know welcome. what to follow it up with, but I mean that's a good song, dude. It's not a great song. Dun, it's not dun, a good song at all. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I can't even do it. Dude. I've never met you in person before, and I'm looking at you totally different. <laughs> now, 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 whenever you hear that song, you're gonna think about Zach having sex. <laughs> I'm gonna picture a blank face and be like, "Yep, lost his virginity that song." I'm also I know gonna. That guy. I'm also oh gonna think God. about what it would have sounded like if Yellow Wolf. Uh, wrapped over, wrapped over a <laughs> oh, part hello, of it. Goodbye. Oh my god, that would have been the worst song in existence. <laughs> I really no, wish that would have happened, dude. In your arms, triple platinum. Honestly, dude, yeah, oh you should. I wish you had a time machine, dude. You should go back and lose your virginity to here in your arms. That's more romantic. Is it? Yeah, I think I think this is revisionist I mean, history, dude. If you go around telling people that, say you lost it to here in your arms instead. That, people that, think that's, that's sweeter. That's a, 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 that's a whole new podcast. Yeah, like I feel like All girls right. will think that's sweet if you tell them that. Revisionist, revisionist history <laughs> on like band history. Pick one band and change one thing and then make up the story for the rest of the timeline. I'm going to keep beating the dead horse, but I mean just Yellow Wolf in every fucking song ever written, basically. Just him rapping in every 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 pop punk song ever written. Say it like you mean it. Some fucking no, dude. Yellow like wait, dude, dude. Say it like you mean it. More like yellow like you mean it. I'm gonna fucking kill you. (laughs) All right, let's get back. Let's get back to our favorite Blink One Eighty Two songs. My number three is uh, Stockholm Syndrome from Self Titled. That one. Now here's the thing. I feel like a fucking idiot. Maybe maybe that's an overstatement. But I did not realize how much people like this song. And today on uh, social media, I put up that we were doing this. I'm like, Hey, doing, you know, talking top five songs with some buddies. And I was like, Hey, what's everyone's favorite blink on two songs. I got multiple people saying Stockholm syndrome. And I didn't think that, like, I didn't think, don't get me wrong. I didn't think it's an obscure song or anything like that, but I didn't realize how many people loved that song. Like I thought I was in a minority with that. And then this one guy went even further and said that like a year ago he did like a March Madness kind of thing with Blink-182 songs, and Stockholm Syndrome won. That was everyone's favorite Blink-182 song. So I don't know, like, are you guys fans of that song? I didn't realize other people loved it that much. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. I, I think it's a, like a, I think the, the way the song is written, like for, for Blinks going into like the new sound, new style, I really enjoy it. I like the, uh, I, I don't know the, the whole lead up to it, like even like the, uh, like the like the prelude 
like to it is so just like it pulls you into this story. Yeah, I, uh, I, that's part of what I like about it. And, and that's what that's that's a letter what Mark's grandfather wrote, if I believe. Yeah, it was correct. something like that. Like for World War Two, I think he wrote it. Yeah, wrote yeah. it back to his uh, girlfriend, or I don't know if they were married at the time. It would have been Mark's grandma. I, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, having that history too behind it, like when you know what it's about and hearing that definitely adds, kind of adds to it. And I love it because I saw them play that song on, they were playing it on the reunion tour in 2009 and they were playing that intro like before they got in the song and just hearing it like over the loud, and that loud too, you know, like over the loudspeakers in an amphitheater and that like build up into it and then all, you know, and then then, uh, fucking Travis comes in with the drums and stuff. Like it's just it's such a good buildup. Like that's another one where it's like, you know, a band who isn't always about that, you know, so many times they're just loud punk rock songs when they work with things like that and have dynamics and like intros and, you know, just shit like that. That isn't always, you know, in your, in your normal blink One Eight Two song. I, I, I just think it's amazing what ended up coming out and the, the like urgency of it too is another one. I love, I love the urgency of it. Like the song, cause even though it has the dynamics, it still just has, you know what I mean? Like when it when it gets into it, it fucking goes off. I mean, it it just goes off in uh, certain parts, and there's just something about it. You know, it's another one where I think the lyrics, I like the lyrics. The lyrics are good, but I think more than anything, the song is a feeling to me, and I think that's what I like about it so much. There's just oh, it, wow, you know, I, I agree it's a with feeling. That. It it's a feeling, feeling to it, it is isn't a it? Yeah, like I, no, that that's how I associate that song. It's a feeling. It's just urgent. There's an urgency to it, you know? So then you're a fan of it then, Zach. I, I take it. You like that song. Uh, it takes me to a weird place, for sure. It, it literally takes me to my freshman year of high school in the fall. Like, I, I literally have a specific place I take that song to. And uh, it's just like it's a really interesting song because while like there's like diminished chords in it, there's uh, it has like the riffing going on behind it. And it just, it's a really interesting song for Blink-182. And I, it's not one of my favorites, but I, I never skip it if it comes on. Um, If I'm listening to the entitled album, like there is maybe one or two songs I skip. I'm not going to mention them. Oh, I wanted you um, to fucking drop the fucking drop the names, dude. Shit, shit on. We already shit on Mark Hoppus this much. You might as well shit on his songs. I, dude, yeah, I love you. Dude, I've already spent like, dude. I I've spent so much money on Mark Hoppus related memorabilia. Like, I don't hate Mark Hoppus. It's just like he's not my favorite member. Doesn't matter how many yeah. octopus shirts you buy, dude. You can't take these words back. Fuck, fuck the octopus shirts. I'm gonna buy some vintage Atticus shirts. He won't see any money from that. Any, anyway, shit on these songs. What songs off self titled do you not like? So when I, heard, when I first heard "I Miss You," I thought it was an amazing song, and like I was like, "How can this song sound like this?" Like the production on it was insane to me. It all the instruments were acoustic. The drums were acoustic. Like the bass was acoustic everything was just like raw and um i don't know i i just it's like one of the songs like one of my favorite two of my favorite songs uh all the small things and damn it 
they're not on my top five, but I have specific memories with those songs where I played the fuck out of those. Like, uh, just side notes, uh, I went to Boy Scout camp for like a week and I couldn't like listen to music for a week. And that was like when I was really getting into music for the first time. And I had to be like away from my iPod or all CDs. And then when I heard all the small things, it was just like a breath of fresh air. It was like, it, it was just like what I'd been wanting all week or like, and then uh, for Damn It, Damn It was the first guitar riff I ever learned. And uh, it, my, my dad wanted me to mention, he wanted me to put this in my top five, but uh, it's just not a song I listen to all the time. So I couldn't like consider putting it in my top five, but um that song i would literally when i figured out how to play that riff i literally just walked around with my les paul around my house <laughs> and would just like play the damn it riff and my my parents literally said like they they were so tired of that riff and then uh, i believe it was like my 13th birthday or something they took me to a guitar center because i i that's where i wanted to go and i like ended up like just buying like a pedal or something but they didn't know where I was. And uh, whenever they would hear Damn It by Blink-182, they would just like <laughs> kind of like gravitate toward that <laughs> sound because that was me. Where's our kid? And they're like, oh, there he is. <laughs> uh, but no, it's just like some of those more hits. I, I'd say the greatest hits, I guess. Um, you know, they're, I cannot not mention them because they had such a pivotal part in my like you know youth i don't think there's anything but, wrong with the hits i mean i don't listen to like all the small things and i miss you and stuff a lot you know if i hear them on radio or something i don't go out of my way to hear them but those are the songs that got me into them too i mean it's like i don't think i don't yeah. think anyone you know a lot of that stuff you just hear so many times you get tired of it but it's like it serves its part like it is good music you just hear them so many times i think is part of the problem yeah i, I think yeah. i just burn out on them they're just like they're delicious tracks, but fucking I've tasty. Had enough. They're tasty <laughs> tracks, but I'm tired of eating them. I hear that. Yeah, like I think I think we can all kind of agree with this statement that since we're all pretty big Bling fans, and I'm sure we have the friends that you know could care less about yeah. it, but like they'll hear a song they'll like you know say they're at a bar or whatever playing the, the jukebox and be like, hey man this one's for you and it's always what's my age again all the <laughs> small things it's always the hits and which i don't hate those songs like you said it's you know they bring me back to like a, such a pivotal point in my life you know i can say everything about adam's song because that was the first blank song i heard um but like I found something in all the small things within the year that I never heard before. And it totally changed my mind about like current day Kyle loving the song again. And then there's a, in the chorus when they're doing the na na nas, there's a synthesizer. Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, there is. Completing the vocal melody. And I never noticed that until this YouTube video. Yeah. The breaking up. down the track. Yes. and i heard that and it blew my freaking mind Same. so yes though i've heard all the small things a million times in my damn life i'm so tired of it i found a new love for it just because of that one little thing 
I think they did that in a couple others. Like, what is it? I think Wendy Clear at the end of it, if you listen, there's, oh. and that might be organ actually, but there's like keys on yeah. it if you mm-hmm. listen. And I will say, because it's not, that was going to be my number two on this list, but it's not. I scratched it out for something else. Wendy Clear? Yes. That is when a good. That is a good. Fu- that is a good fucking song. That is. A, you know what? That's a sleeper one because I forget how good that song is. That's another example of a more mature Mark song, like where he just kind of, you know, he's not, he kind of sneakily, like you don't really realize it, but he's he kind of writes a mature song that is, you know, kind of disguised as a pop punk song, but a really well written, like kind of poppy love song. And it's one of those ones where he almost sneaks yeah. it in there and you you forget about it. It's like, yeah, that is goddamn good. And another one that's the Jerry Finn, like, you know, he's the one who thought of putting that synth on all the small things and, you know, in Wendy clear and stuff like that's, that's another example of what Jerry Finn, I think did for that band. And I don't think any of them would say otherwise either. I don't think like, I think they all love that guy. I don't think they'd be like, yeah, fuck you. Like he didn't do that. It's like, no, I think they would admit to like, yeah, he basically taught us what we knew. Like the whole reason they'd go self-produce later is the shit that they learned from Jerry Finn, you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, let's let's go in then to our uh, second favorite Blink-182 songs. We're getting down here now to the top two. Zach, what is your uh, second? Actually, wait. Oh, yeah, I got your third. Uh, we said your third, didn't we, Kyle? Yeah, we did. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, we got yours. Yours was uh, Los Angeles. Yep. Okay, okay. Then, Zach, for your second, what is your second favorite Blink-182 song? I would have to say my second favorite Blink-182 song is Mutt. Off of Enema of the State. Nice. Dude. I just, sorry, yes. go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Okay. This I'm sorry. I, I'll just say this real quick. I had this deep thought not too long ago. That song has no swearing in it, yet it's the dirtiest song on Enema of the State. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it for a minute. It's she the filthiest the song. He did, not she. The he did. It felt, or, <laughs> yeah, whatever. He but, took the seat off. His own, his own bike, bike because the way the that way it felt. It felt. Yeah. He <laughs> wants to bone. This I know. She is ready to blow. It's a and filthy it's, song. It's one of like my favorite scenes of American <laughs> Of American Pie. You can't hear the beginning of that without thinking of that, honestly. Without Jason Biggs running down the fucking street <laughs> to get to his phone call to watch Nadia get naked on a pixelated webcam. And then Blink-182 uh, watch it with a monkey. Then they watch it all with yeah. a fucking monkey. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that I is- love that song because, like, one, I, I just feel like the baseline on that, like, credits Mark, I feel like I'm giving Mark a lot more love than either of you, even though I shit on him a lot. I know, you hate his guts. I don't hate his guts. I think that Mark Hoppus was very talented on this song. Uh, I think the baseline is one that stands out for sure. And um, I think it was actually... Like one of the first instances that I noticed that Tom DeLong was utilizing a clean tone, like during the choruses, uh, he is playing like I think his like Vox twin or I'm sorry, the Fender twin twin reverb, and uh, he it's just like a clean chorus tone, and uh, there's no distortion on it. But then when it gets back into the intro and the verses and uh. You know, it's more distorted with the Mesa. But, and then I just feel like Tom's riffing on the verses while he's singing is just like, it's a really great riff as well. And um, I just really feel like 
I'm really big into Blink because I really admire the riffing in that band, and I really think that Mutt shines through on the riffing. And um, I, I just think that like it was a great song to like kind of highlight where they were going to go next because uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket obviously has a lot of cleaner tones on it, and uh, I think Mutt was kind of like foreshadowing Take Off Your Pants and Jacket in a way. That makes sense. I would, <clears throat> I would definitely uh, agree with that. And also, I think it does kind of show like all their strong suits. Like I, Travis has that great drum opening on the snare. Um, that's a classic Mark Hoppus bass line, like you were saying. I mean, real simple too. It's n- it's nothing difficult. I'm sure you could even play it right now for us. And uh, you know, it's 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 nothing crazy, but it sounds great. And then you know, fucking Tom Tom's you know guitar in it too is great, in- including. Just even what he's doing chugging along in the verses is good. You know, it's nothing crazy, but it's just really good when I think about it. That's really good. It shows him as a rhythm guitar player when you think about it. Really good rhythm playing in those verses. You know, he goes from back and forth from palm muting to kind of doing that like chugging and whatnot. Just really, I don't know, that works well. That That's a, it's not on my list, but that's like you were saying earlier, like if you were to pick like a sixth favorite song, that might be like my sixth favorite. That's that's one of my favorite on uh, Enema of the State and probably one of my, like, overall favorites. And I've never heard them play it live. I mean, I know I know they have because, uh, I mean, I've, I guess I've heard it on maybe live CDs. Many times I saw them live, yeah. they never played it, which bummed me out. Because that, that'd be a good one to hear live. But uh, any any other thoughts on that uh, song, Kyle or Zach? I mean, you great guys song. Kind of hit it. Like, like the, just like the bass intro, I, I, I love... I love that it's it's drivey, but it still has kind of like a mellow vibe to it. And one of my favorite things in just like songwriting, and there's some blank songs that do it, they do it all over on Boxcar Racer and some AVA where like the song starts out mellow, hits really hard, and it kind of mellows back out. And for me, like that song is kind of like one of the first songs that kind of like in my head at least, kind of like felt very slow, really vibey. And this song never really picked up really big on Mutt, but it, I don't know, that bass line in the intro just keeps a good tempo and just a good drive, but it's not over-distorting, it's not in your face. I don't yeah. know, it's weird contrast to me where it's drivey, but it's not, it's... I don't know. It's cool. Part of that too, I think is when you think of Tom's guitar playing on it, like you said, like they never go all out And some of the biggest parts of that song are just where he's holding the notes, you know, like where he's just holding a chord, which he doesn't normally do. I feel like he holds out chords or not chords, but like power chords. He holds them longer in that song and some of those buildups and it works really well. Even in the end that like that little jam they do at the end while, you know, fucking Travis is going crazy on the drums. Like, it's not the normal, like, just playing real fast eight notes. Like, there's a little, you know, there's a little more variety in there. He obviously plays those, but it's broken up a little more. And uh, another thought I had, too, you know, I almost think we got to thank Boxcar Racer for some of the dynamics on Self-Titled. Because you are right. Yeah. There's, he does a lot of different yeah. shit on Boxcar Racer that they didn't do so much in Blink-182. Like, even the beginning. I mean, you think of uh, I Feel So. I mean, going from that kind of dissonant piano and then you know mm-hmm. breaking it and even doing things where it's like you know they're playing the same thing but on an acoustic and then going in from there and the distortion and whatnot like that's a lot when you consider that yeah when people think of blink 182 they think of like all the small things and a real simple three chord pop punk song 
with, you know, kind of just similar dynamics the whole way through boxcar racer was the first time where I think they realized that fully, you know, like there's like, we're saying there's little tastes here and there in, in blink Eighty Two, but like where they really started realizing the strong suits and whatnot, I would say is yeah. Boxcar racer starting to kind of realize that like, Oh yeah, if we do this, like we don't have to be at 10 the entire song, you know, we can, we can go back and forth and sometimes that's for the better, you know? But I uh, know that's yeah, a that box car that's so good that that's in in a way I feel like it helped break the band up, but at the same time it's weird because I think it oh. it helped break them up, but yeah. at the same time I don't think self titled would have happened without it. It's very weird. I I no. think it it's weird to figure out where it would go because I think you need it, but at the same time it was also their destruction. Oh yeah, it's it's oh, I, it, I I said it to someone a long time ago. Um, I was like, Boxcar Racer is like the mecca of that band. Like a lot of things came before it, a lot of things came after it, but there's something so unique about Boxcar in like the, the anthology of just Blink where that record was uh, a, a launching point for Tom to learn how to write differently. And he went, uh, I know this uh, from like an interview that he said, he went to a vocal coach uh, during and after that recording, so he can try to sing oh, wow. a little bit better, really mess his voice up. That's why when his voice, quote unquote, changed from the records on, he actually went to a vocal coach to, you know, preserve his voice essentially and oh, really? clean up his lungs and his throat or his nasal passage. Um, that's why so many people complained about his vocals being so bad, but that that boxer album it's it's unique it's dynamic and it it changed the the fate for that that self-titled record but also it was the birth of the the destruction of that band because there's so many little things on the self-titled record that you can tell there was a difference in the songwriting between the two and i still say to this day and my other blink friends that do know they don't believe me that I swear to God, here's your letter is a soul on jab at Tom. Oh shit. Really? I've never thought of that. That's how I feel like, because there's the rumor or like a story that Mark was quote unquote, intercepting the, uh, the emails back and forth from Tom and the record label about doing a solo project. And when Tom was denying the solo project, when he quote unquote was, and Mark caught wind of the emails. Eventually, when they did the self-titled, in my head, here's your letters, kind of like the "fuck you." I know what's going on. <laughs> that makes like I'm I'm sitting here as you're saying that I'm like sifting through the lyrics one night. I'm like, that makes sense because it's not. It is well documented that yeah, Mark was not happy. I mean, even though he was on that song, he was not happy about Boxcar Racer. And in a way, I get it. It's like maybe Tom should is as good as Travis is on that. I. It is Blink-182 without just one of them. So it's like, part of me gets why Mark was that way, but it's like, you know, I, it also sucks as like, wow, that also kind of destroyed the band, you know, like like mm-hmm. whether, whether or not they should have done that without him, you know, I don't know, but like still it's like he obviously took that very personally. And, uh, yeah. and also, plus the other thing too, I mean, he can, I think he still denies it but everyone knows that no, it isn't is about Tom. So it's like, it wouldn't be the first time, you know what I mean? Like he's written yeah. fuck yous before to Tom. So I could definitely see him doing that. That wouldn't really be out of, uh, you know, like out of line for him to do that. I remember that's where interesting. I was. 
I was going to say, I remember where I was when I uh, heard uh, No, It Isn't. Like, I remember the situation, like, perfectly. And the funniest thing is I think he still denies it, yet they released it on Tom's birthday. And he still says yeah. oh, that was a coincidence. And I'm like, you know what? If you're going to write it, like, here's my thought on it. Maybe he's Maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe it has nothing to do with Tom. But in my eyes, if you wrote that about him, just own up to it. No one cares. It's like, yeah, you're right. He, he fucked you over. You guys lost your band. If you're going to write a song about him like that, just admit it's about him. Go, yeah, it's a song about him. It's not nice, and I released it on his birthday, and that's what I think of him. Like, if you're going to do that, yeah. lean into the damn thing, you know? Like, if you're going to go that far enough to write the song, at least admit it's about them, you know? Yeah, I think in later interviews he finally admitted it. But, yeah, the initial release was like, oh, I don't know how this leaked so early, and it was a coincidence it was on his birthday. No, it wasn't. You know full well what the fuck you did. I would have done the same thing. It makes you wonder how he, like, behind the scenes, like, if he's a little more sent, like, because once again, like, the boxcar racer situation, I can get where he was probably bummed out a little bit at it all, that his bandmates were out doing something different. Like, I can understand that, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, maybe he is a little passive aggressive, like including when you do shit like that. Like that's, I think that's, that's kind of like, that's really passive aggressive. You write a song on a major label release saying, fuck you to your friend. You release it on his birthday, but then you go, no, that's not about him. That's pretty passive aggressive. I'd say, you know, I actually heard that San Diego was also about Tom. You know what? I just heard that too. Just, I was trying to remember. I heard that there was like a post Tom song that people were thinking it was about Tom. And then I and then that was the one and yeah I started reading the lyrics and I'm like yeah I could see that that's that's not that's yeah, not crazy. I think, I think in interviews like uh, I almost watched it before this because I've seen it a couple times but there is like a, a sit down interview a track by track interview about uh, the California record with Mark and uh, Matt and they trade off each song and there's some songs that. Uh, Matt is talking about where like he really doesn't have much to say he's just like oh yeah I came into the studio and they had the song together so I kind of did some stuff over this or whatever and it came to San Diego and it was Matt talking about the song and he literally goes you know there's some inner there's some previous inner band you know interpersonal stuff that I can't get really into at this time but this song is you know it's about you know your old hometown and like you know your feelings about it and this and that everyone knows blink was originally labeled from san diego and so it's clearly i it has to be clearly a jab at tom i don't see what else it could really be a lot of people don't know the uh the actual the the demo song title for that song was tom's a fucking asshole a lot of people don't know that that was the working title for that no, song <laughs> yeah i just want to throw that out there actually what i heard was that like uh the working title for that track was uh anthony merchant's foreskin turns off girls and makes them run away and cry to their moms <laughs> yeah you know what that was but they're like we don't want to rip off Fallout Boy. That's too long of a title. They're like, we're not Fallout Boy, so they am not I'm, going I'm with that. I'm all for those long Fallout Boy titles. <laughs> yeah, dude. You know doesn't that right? sound like it? Wait, please, please, if you can even remember what you just said, please, please repeat that whole song title again, because that is a Fallout Boy song title. It was like <laughs> uh, <laughs> calling me out. It, it was like Anthony Merchant's foreskin turns off women, and they 
they cry to their moms about it. <laughs> no, the, the parentheses and they cry to their moms about it. There's like parentheses yeah. in there too. And then and then another parentheses yeah. light them up. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> okay, so moving on, Kyle, your second your second favorite Blink One Eighty Two song. All right, so my my deuce, my big turd on this list, the number two is a B side from Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Don't Ooh. tell me that it's when you fucked Grandpa. No, no that was that was going to be my, my next one, but no, don't tell me that it's over. Very good. That is a really good. Me and Zach were actually talking before, like I think earlier in the day, wasn't it? And we were talking about how good those B sides on "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket" are. Like people forget how good those songs are. I almost put "Went What yeah. Wrong" on my uh, on my list. So that's those are some good fucking songs. But what to about that honest, one? Makes your favorite? No, to be honest, yeah. Fuck, fuck you, Kyle. That was my number one. Fuck you, Kyle. Oh. I gotta. I, I have a backup number one, but fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> oh, that's oh, also. Yeah. That was also a working title for a Blink One Eighty Two song, but not the <laughs> Fallout Boy title <laughs> one. Such a good song. No, no. Like me and Kyle are about to bro out over the song now. So Anthony, back yeah. up. Like I'm gonna. I'm gonna hit mute on my mic, and you two show your love for this song. I want to hear you Dude, get balls deep in the love. So good. So. If if this song had a face, we'd be coming on this fucking song right now. I believe so. That's a good. That, that's a that, good that, visual. But no, like this song, man. Like, a how the fuck did it not make the final record? I don't know. Like they're like take off her pants and jacket is a solid fucking album front to back. There's really yeah. no real dud. The fact that this song, or even Time to Break Up, kind of, but the fact that this song didn't make it is a goddamn travesty. You know, actually, actually, such a good song. Where would you put it? Like, I'd be interested in you saying it being on Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Where do you, where would, because I agree with you, but where do you think it would fit best? It'd be the opener. Ooh, I like that. That is a really good, I fucking like that, man. It would be the opener because. The it's so stereotypically, if you listen to every blink, it's, opener, it, it's always a longer guitar riff, you know, it's, it's some sort of build up, you know, that kind of gets you into the vibe of what this album or what this song is going to be. With don't tell me that it's over, it literally just vocally punches you in the face, like in and the first two lines, like I hear the phone to ring so violently. Can't leave my room, can't breathe, and she left me. So many of us probably have that feeling in our minds after like a breakup or after we try to talk to a girl and she like totally shuts us down. Like everyone has had that feeling. And I relate on such a deep level to this song because I remember it was one of the first songs that played after one of my big breakups. And I was just in my room listening to like a fucking like mix CD. And this song came on, and I just sat there. Like, I remember not blinking, listening to the song, like, holy shit, I want this girl back, but I fucking can't. That That's one of their strong suits, too, is that, like, like we were talking about the simplicity of the songs. They just write about shit that people can relate to. You know what I mean? Like, that's why... I feel like that's the difference. And I like... Like, I like Angels and Airwaves enough, and I like some of that later stuff. But you can relate more to a song about a girl than you can about like an astronaut 
flying around in space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's just Sounds more to right, there's more to relate to like this girl broke my heart than there is like I'm fucking in somewhere in the Milky Way right now flying around. Like there's just there's more to relate to, I would say. Like that really is that sim- the simplicity they are best. Mark and Tom are best when they don't overthink things. And I, I think yeah. that's a good example of it, that song. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I, I love that song so much. I just think, like, so when it's in, like, the key of what, C, I just, like, think that, like, a lot of my favorite Blink-22 songs are in the key of C. I mean, all the small things, of course. Most of their um, hits, I think, are in C, if you start to think about it. Yeah, First Date. Yeah, First Date's definitely in C. Anthem Part 2's in C. Um Fuck, I don't know. Wendy clears in C. Yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna sit here and name a bunch of Blink One Eight Two songs in C. I'm gonna stop doing that. Go ahead, keep talking. <laughs> but I just feel like Tom's riff in that was just like really iconic, and I just feel like my, I actually I was lifting with a buddy not that long ago, and I pulled this up because we were looking for good music to lift to, and. uh I pulled this song up and uh, I was like, just like asking him, like, why do you think that they didn't put this on the record? Like, this is such a good song. He was like, just from like an outsider's perspective, he just said, I think they like left it off the record for the real fans. I kind of like that. Yeah, no, from an outsider's perspective. And uh, I was like, wow, like, I like that because like he, he doesn't really he doesn't really give a shit about Blink to be honest <laughs> and um, it, it's a really good song and he was like yeah that's a he, he admitted that like it was like a really good song and um, yeah. you know it it has a great riff the ba- it, I, I don't know it just has all the elements of a yeah, Blink it, song that you would want like it has like the rings out C chord that Tom plays and you can hear Mark chugging on the bass underneath that without Tom playing guitar over it. Like and then it's it's a Tom's long song, so of course it's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Mark if it was a Mark song, you would not have this on your you would not be saying but, you wouldn't no. give it high praise. But also but also Mark does like the hold on, hold on like he does the harmonies and like yeah. a lot of my favorite Tom songs have Mark harm harmonies in them. So like, yeah, I, like, yeah, it, it's just all around like the perfect Blink-182 song in my opinion. Yeah. That's why it was my number we, one. So I'm going to have to change this shit, Kyle. <laughs> fuck you. But like, I'll be interested to see what your backup is because, in my opinion, my number one is like the quintessential, like perfect written bling song. But we'll get into that in a second. But the uh, one last thing I want to say—that's a fucking tease, dude. Yeah, but uh, the the one thing I do want to say about "Don't Tell Me That It's Over" and it's a little bit more personal, even though I already said something personal about it. Um, I was showing music to my niece on Christmas, just this past Christmas. And I was asking her, oh, what do you listen to? Because I know she listens to some new, like, whatever bands and, like, rappers or whatever. But she does listen to some other, like, quote-unquote punk rock bands. 
And I was like, what are you listening to? And she's like, oh, well, I like, you know, this, that. And she said, Neck Deep. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, what song do you like? She's like, oh, I really like your December song. Of course, it's Christmas. We're in December. No big deal. And she's like, hey, have you ever heard this song? It's, it's not a, like, I don't think it's a popular one of theirs. And it was the Don't Tell Me That It's Over cover. And I was like, ooh, do I have something to show you? <laughs> And I was like, you know, my favorite band's Blink One Eighty Two. She's like, yeah, I know. And I played that. I played her the original, and she's like, this is so much better. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> thank God. I don't mind fucking God. I don't mind neck deep. I don't mind neck deep. I I definitely love like their like their first like two EPs and the full length. Like I don't mind it at all. But dude, you know, I, I, I love. I, I I saw neck deep, and uh, they're pretty cool. I've actually met the singer he's pretty cool but uh i'm know. happy you guys like him i fucking hate neck deep i'll just throw that out uh, there I, no that's fine like i haven't listened to him in a while like so i don't really have a good voice on him anymore but like when i first heard them it was like right in the middle of like neck deep and uh the story so far and Ooh, don't don't, and don't, don't even things. talk about my favorite band oh he and, loves the story oh, no, so I'm, far yeah, no, I think they were all right. <laughs> That's about where I say. I think they were all right too. We yeah, think, I mean, you know yeah, what? We, you know what? We think of, we think of the stories so far, kind of like how you think of Mark Hoppus. It, they're okay. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, Anthony. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna circumcise you in this moment. I'm driving to New York right now to circumcise you because that's how much I'm mad at you. The funniest thing about that podcast is that you're telling every, <laughs> you're 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 spreading this terrible rumor that I'm uncircumcised. <laughs> you're spreading these vicious rumors. I mean, Wait, you're not in New York, are you? Not in not in the city. I'm in I'm in the state though. I'm near Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, like uh, I, I recognize the area. But uh, so what were we, I don't even know what we were talking about before we were talking about uh, Zach coming to uh, driving cross country to circumcise me, which I don't even think he knows how to do that. So I'm not. It I'm, doesn't even matter. Do you have experience? Because that's the other thing. It's like I fuck I'm gonna, man. I'm gonna kill you. All right. I don't even know. I don't even know where we were at, Kyle. Oh, yeah, that was your second song. That's right. I know where we're at. Uh, Zach was saying, fuck you, Kyle, because you picked his favorite song. And that's what I was going to say. Speaking of uh, things that are just mediocre, um, you know who else did a cover? And I don't think it, maybe one of you will remember. I think it was Time to Break Up. All Time Low did a cover. Not very that's good. That's not bad. That's, that's not bad. Yep. Wait, are you saying it wasn't bad? I don't. I didn't think it was good, but I haven't heard it in a long time. It's not bad. Okay, so you stand behind it. Like when they were like high school, all time low. So like, couldn't couldn't be that great. No, it's it's pretty early. Yeah, that's like pre. I don't even think they were signed to Hopeless when they did that cover. It's on that compilation. I think four. Yeah, four years strong's on there too. I don't remember which one they covered. They did Dumpweed, and I fucking love that cover. (laughs) I can't remember. And also, actually, also a band from my hometown. Is on that compilation. Park. It, Park. Oh, what song did they do? Obvious. Oh, really? I yeah, have that. So, I have that fucking comp. Apparently, I, if you can't tell, I haven't like, listened to it in a long time. It's like the Ridge Records or something. Yeah, it's Pacific like the Ridge. Yeah, yeah um, Pacific, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, a band from my hometown played on that compilation. They actually were really big at the time. They played shows with the starting line, Alguine Trio. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, I think they actually played a show with Alistair as well. Oh, nice. Um, nice. But um, it, it was cool to see that they played a show, you know, with like Alkaline Trio. And then they were on this like Blink-182 compilation. And this dude, uh, the drummer of that band, like runs like a pretty successful like t-shirt printing company in my hometown. So oh, that's, that's pretty sick. cool. That's really sick, dude. So yeah. yeah, that's right. So going into uh, before we get to number one, I got my second one, and uh, I picked well, Waggy. I don't think, wait, 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 well, I don't think Zach, I don't think Zach ever got to say his number two. Oh wait, uh, wait, did you not, no, dude? My number two is Mutt. Yeah, oh, we, that's we right. That. That's right. Yeah. We oh, did. That's right. He was first. My bad. Oh, it's all no, good. You're good. No, my no, uh, fuck you, Kyle. You stole my number <laughs> one. So yeah. Yeah. Why don't you circumcise <laughs> him instead? No, fuck you, dude. I'm circumcising you. I'm driving. I don't know I'm how like you're going to do that, though. New York right now. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that, man. Fuck you, dude. I guess we'll find out. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of a uh, circumcision, so Waggy, yeah. <laughs> Waggy uh, is is one of my is wow. one of my one of my uh, favorite Blink One Eight Two songs. And now earlier I was saying how Stockholm Syndrome, I love it because it's a feeling. Now. Normally, Blink-182 songs, I like them, I would say, more because of their feeling than I will lyrically. Because I think, I think we've said that. It's like, they're very relatable, but a lot of times they're not writing they're not writing lyrics for you to go, this is the deepest thing or whatever. I feel like Waggy, you listen to and you go, that is some of, in my opinion, Mark's best lyrical work. Like, I can listen to that and I go, the lyrics are good, the music's good. Like, you know, it's not in minor, but it's kind of a, it's a... It's different for them, and it's different on Dude Ranch. I'd say it's probably the first song on there that's less up-tempo, you know, and less kind of, you know, it's still fast and whatnot, but I know, like, you know, in the the, uh, pre-choruses, or no, I guess it would be the chorus, they go to that relative minor, you know, they do little things like that that they didn't always do. And uh, there's there's something about that song. I think think musically it's great. I love the music. I also just think lyrically, I think it's one of – I think it's one of Mark's best songs lyrically, and I think on that record too. It's one of the ones like, like I'm not gonna sit here and shit all over Los Angeles or not Los Angeles, California. I wasn't a huge fan of California, and part of my thing was I would think of things like that. I'd go, this guy wrote a song like Waggy, and I just think lyrically it runs circles over something like say Sober. Like I look at songs like that on there, and I go, I know you can write better. And same with Matt Skiba. I go, I look at some of the stuff Skiba writes. He's one of the best lyricists. Of all goddamn time. And then I look at some of the lyrics on like uh, California and I go, you like dumbed yourselves down. Like, I know you guys are capable of writing these amazing fucking lyrics. Like, and Waggy's one of them. I like, I don't know. Where does Waggy sit for you guys? Are you a fan of that one? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like it. I mean, yeah. Lyr- like Lyrically, I think it's such a super strong song. Uh, yeah. Probably one of Mark, like lyrically, probably one of Mark's best songs lyrically like it's super it's super you know relatable it's super deep musically uh i mean i mean nothing really sticks out for me per se i'd agree with that i mean i can't i can't deny the song lyrically because i I like it musically but i like it more musically for the same reason stockholm syndrome like just the feeling of it like yeah you're right musically they're not doing any you know what i mean like mark doesn't have any really neat bass runs or anything like that, then nothing that stands out musically like that, but it just comes together with what they're playing and, and his singing and phrasing and everything. I and mean, I, I love that one. What about yeah. you, Zach? You like that one? It holds a special place for sure. Cause it's relatable. 
And uh, one of my favorite lyrics is that I'm trying to be what you want me to be. Um, and I, I just like that's more relatable on any level that any lyric should probably be than, uh, you know, it's it's damn hard to keep playing the part of the full week after week. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just I, I just feel like that song just like what shines through on that song for me is the lyrics. You know what he does uh, too, and it, it's kind of the same. And it, it once again shows his like strong suit as a writer. And actually, I can even compare this to Matt Skiba as well. But you, you have a song like Waggy, and lyrically, it's so good. We can all agree it's great. Yet there can still be like, I mean, he literally says "Jack off my room." Yet it's not. You know what I mean? You don't laugh at it. It doesn't like discount the song. Like there's something to say about being able to write a song like that and have a line like that in there. And it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like. It doesn't like ruin the song. There's nothing like that. And it also makes me think of like Madame Me with Alkaline Trio where like it's kind of the serious song and he makes like basic not a metaphor, but he's like talking about knee deep and shit and like different things like that where it's like really that shouldn't work. And you would almost think that that like, I don't know, takes away from the song, but it doesn't. It's just it's just so well written that like lines like that you know, they, they don't take anything away. Like, I don't know that to me, that's a strong, that's really strong because sometimes people are write a good song and you can have a line in there that just ends up ruining it all. Like it's either really yeah. cringe worthy or something. And I don't feel like they did it in this one. Yeah. Like for example, like since we're on the trio kick uh, for a second, like on radio, one of the opening lines shaking, like dog yes. shooting razor blades, like that, like writing, like I was telling my niece, same girl I was just talking about a, a couple weeks later after Christmas about some bands I think she'd be into because like kind of where she's at like as like a young teenager I'm like Alkaline Trio is really cool and I start playing radio for her because it's a hit and I was like okay try to find something relatable I'm like ignore the first lyric it's weird but it makes sense for just the the, the feeling that you get for the song and she listened to it she laughed really you know, young girl but you know she looked she laughed because it was like you know it's a weird lyric but she listened to the rest of the song and she's like that was really cool forgetting that the opening lyric is like <laughs> obscure as shit you, you are right about that and it also i feel like it at the same time once you get over you know like if you laugh at it and you get over that you realize that it's also genius because it pulls you in right away i remember the first time hearing that song and it's like you don't forget that lyric like that no. songs do not start like that. Like songs do not start with shaking like a dog shit and razor blades. Like songs do not start yeah. with a line like that. So to do that, you also have to have that confidence too. You know what I mean? To know that it's a good enough song to go. Yeah, I can kick off. That's how good this song is. That's the lyric I'm going to kick off with, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, yeah, I, I love alkaline trio too. They're another one. They're a, to me, lyrically that's a band where i go i go blink 182 is more of a feel, and i love blink 182 blink 182 to me is more of a feeling alkaline trio mm-hmm. what i like about a lot of the songs are more of the lyrics where i go that's really good like lyric like lyrically that's really good songwriting where blink 182 it's like the songs are good but yeah like the lyrics to mutt aren't like 
something to be analyzed in third. You know what I mean? Like there's not going to be college classes <laughs> in 80 years where they analyze and break down Blink-182 lyrics. It's just not going to happen. That'll be us. <laughs> yeah. Let's today, today we're going to analyze the lyrics to family reunion. We're going to really, we're really going to break this down and see what they were, what they meant when they said cocksucker motherfucker. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen, but no, that, <laughs> So, just Waggy's so good. I mean, Waggy, Waggy is, uh, you know, Waggy is obviously it's my second favorite, but it's there's something yeah. about in Dude Ranch as well. Like when I was putting this list together and I started thinking of all my favorite songs, it really did solidify for me that Dude Ranch has probably become my favorite. Like years ago, I would have said Enema of the State or maybe even Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, but probably the last two or three years, I've I've shifted. It's Dude Ranch. Dude Ranch for me is like my favorite era of the band. And I, I love Mark was at a good place there. I think Mark lyrically same with, and it's not on here, but like Apple shampoo. That's another one. I feel like everyone talks about where it's like lyrically, it's so good. And it's just, it's him. It's him one upping himself from like, from that guy who wrote like TV, you know, or like some of those early songs. It's like, he blows that out of the water, you know, even more than Tom does. Cause Tom has great songs, but Tom also has songs like, degenerate on there and you know other ones like that where it's like they're not bad songs but it's not you know it, it it's not the same it's just not on the same level like of like relatability or deepness of the lyrics you know not take Dude, away from those songs you, you said apple shampoo yeah. the good intentions that you had not only came to this and although she uh, saw the mark the air Hey! Um, hey! We all know Blink One Eighty Two. Legitimately, I can say that Apple Shampoo was my original number three until I called my Audible and put LA up there because Apple Shampoo literally has one of my favorite lyrics of all time. Any Blink song, it's the walk-on part of a background shot from a movie I'm not in. That is a good fucking line. That really is a good it's, fucking line. It's literally my favorite blink lyric of all time his delivery of it too his delivery is great yeah yeah and i still sit here sometimes to this day and actually i did earlier today while i was at work essential um <laughs> uh listening i that, that song popped up and i was just listening to it and still to this day i try to break down that lyric and I have a feeling of like what I see the lyric being as because of like what the like the rest of the song is about. But like still to this day, once in a while, I'm like, what does he mean by this? And I just sit there and think about it forever. That really is one of his strongest. There, there's a couple that stand out. That one, and then I know I I swear I've heard him say this is like his favorite lyric he's ever written. But I do like in Baby Come On, the past is only the future with the lights on. That's another one where it's just like, yeah. he has a couple lines, like he has lines throughout songs where you just go, there's like that one line you just go, that's fucking good. Like, that's a really, really good fucking lyric. Yeah. You know? I mean, Zach, I know I know you probably are hating hearing all this fucking Mark Love Fest. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're fucking chomping at the bit here. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, do you, do you like, oh no, you already said that. You enjoy Waggy. You're you're a fan of Waggy. Yeah, I love Waggy. You're down with the Waggy. So then, yeah, I think we're all into it lyrically, musically. We're just kind of like, yeah, it's good. But yeah, I think for all of us, Waggy is very much a lyrically driven song. Yeah, that I I would say so. And and from a band who, like I said, I mean, once again, one of my all time favorite bands, but not always lyrically driven. I would never sit here and tell you 
And I never would. Even when I got into them, I would never sit here and go like, yeah, they're like fucking modern day Shakespeare's. Like, that's not what you listen to Blink-182 for. You know, it's it's the same thing like if you go watch a movie like like American Pie. Like, that's a, that's a very funny movie. If you go in to go, this is like the next Godfather. Yeah, you're not going to like it. It's a movie where a guy fucks a pie. Like, you're not going to like it if, you're, if you think it's like, you know, if you go in thinking it's like going to be this masterpiece or this like crazy piece of art not everything has to be that and that's like blink 182 you know there's they literally named their album enema of the state it's like it doesn't have to be deep it's still one of the greatest albums ever written but every now and then you know they do have those songs or those lines where you go wow like they they surprise you they go no like these guys can write songs they don't they they do they don't just play power chords and you know tell silly dick jokes they do those things but you know there's more to them you know, and I, I think that's yeah. their best time when they show that, you know, or they don't discount themselves, which is another thing that, and I mm-hmm. won't sit here and shit on, it's not a shit on California. That's a different episode. But like part of my complaint on there is that I don't feel like they did, you know what I mean? Like they went back and kind of tried to emulate certain parts of them, certain parts oh, yeah. of the band, but I don't feel like they went back and tried doing something like, like of all the things they tried to do, they didn't try to write good lyrics. Like there wasn't, I feel like, I truly feel like they dumbed them down. Maybe that was Feldman. I still blame Feldman I agree. for a lot of that yeah. album, yeah, I but, agree. I, but I go, you have fucking Matt, Ski- including Skiba. Skiba is one of the greatest like lyricists of all time. I will glad, I will easily say that with confidence. Like we're talking alkaline trio. He's written some of the best lyrics in the world. So once again, not every song on I I don't hate every song on California, like, like San Diego. We mentioned that earlier. That's my favorite song on there. Mm-hmm. I like that song. And, uh, you know, like there's some okay parts on there, but I just don't feel like that's them at their best. I don't feel like they're pushing each other. Like to me, I want to see, I want to see a record where Matt and Mark basically, you know what? I want to see them do what Tom and Mark did on self-title where you hear that, where, they were kind of one-upping each other because there was that animosity. Part of why I think that album was good was because there was that fuck you, Mark, and fuck you, Tom thing, and they kept kind of one-upping each other trying to write better songs. And I would like to see that in Blink-182 now with Mark and Matt. I, instead of being like, let's try to make it sound like this, no, instead go, you two are some of the greatest songwriters in all of pop-punk history. Now try to outdo each other. Try to write a masterpiece where you go, you can write that? Well, motherfucker, look what I write. Like, I feel like if they pushed themselves and got out of that comfort zone, maybe we could get something really, really good that kind of rang in a new era of Blink-182. Not just, oh, it's that pop-punk band, and now the singer of Alkaline Trio is in it. Truly, like, it's its own thing. Kind of like, you know, like ACDC when they got fucking What's-His-Face, or like Iron Maiden when they got uh when they got their other singer. I'm I'm trying to use all these examples and can't think of any of their names. But like when, when Bruce Dickinson joined Iron Maiden and it became a different thing. People don't think of him anymore as the fucking second singer of Iron Maiden. They think of him as the singer of Iron Maiden. And I would like to see that with Blink-182 as well, you know, like with Matt. If they wrote something really good and really really tried to push themselves to where they're like, nah, fuck it. We're not that band that you guys think of. This is something new. You know, this is, this is us with Matt and it's, it's like something fresh and new. I I don't know. I, I, I'm going on a tangent now, but I just think that those two write such good fucking songs. I think they could be doing better now. I just think they could be writing better songs. I'll dumb it down a little bit on the, the, like the different lyric, different member, uh, story. 
with, uh, it's like when uh, John Nolan and Taking Back Sunday got replaced with Fred. That's a good, you know what? That is a great example. That really is because there's a lot of people who go, where you want to be in Louder now? They love, like, there's people who love that more than tell all your friends. Like, they were pretty successful, I would say, at kind of getting yeah. over that hump and doing their own thing. That is a really good, I don't know why my head didn't go there. That's a much better example than Iron Maiden or ACDC. <laughs> I would say Taking Back Sunday is a much better example. Because we went even further and replaced Fred with that other guy. So, so that Matt Fozzie, yeah. Yeah, fucking on yeah, uh, New that, Again. That, and, like, no one gave a fuck about that. No, no, they did not. <laughs> Actually, people people gave such such little of a shit for that that they ended up going back to the Tell All Your Friends lineup. That's that's how little people cared. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's some okay songs is, on there, but yeah, not a great, not a great record. I'm not sad that they that they went back to uh, to John and uh, oh, I'm blanking on his uh, name, the bass player, Sean. and Sean. Yeah, John and Sean. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy they went back to that. But yeah, that is a great example, man. That honestly is. But okay, so now now we have gotten to it, fellas. This is this is the moment of truth. It is our number ones. Um, Zach, I mean, you, you kick it off, man. Uh, after, after Kyle really fucked up your program yep. here and kind yep. of destroyed yep. everything, you know, wh- what is, what is fucked your, uh, ratchet, yeah, yeah, you really fucked up his day, dude. So like, yeah, fuck you, Kyle. <laughs> so, uh, what, what is your number one Blink-182 song, uh, Zach? I will, I will have to say just a special, like, uh, salute. Uh, fuck you, Kyle. Uh, you stole my number one. Hold on is an amazing Blink song. I think we touched on that. But I think my number one would have to be Blowjob. <laughs> I hope you're serious. I am serious. So what about <laughs> what about it do you love about that song? Like, what is your favorite lyric of that song? I love the action. I love that song because I would love a blowjob from anyone's mom. Oh, okay. All right. So that <laughs> now, so you could relate to that when when Tom like oh, when Tom oh, sings oh, that song. Oh my god, it's so relatable because like I think it's just like the most relatable Blink One Eight Two song. Um, I personally just think that uh, the guitar. The guitar is just great. It's in the key of B, of course. And it's palm muted chords. It's on the live album. It's on the Mark, Tom, and Travis show. And uh, I just think, like, they're harmonizing. Mark and Tom are harmonizing. And I just think it's, like, pure Blink-182. There's no special riffing going on. But uh, it's palm muted chords. Like, Mark Hoppus is, is, like, playing, like, his usual root notes. But, like, the kicker is that, like, everyone wants a blowjob from their friend's mom. So, like... <laughs> is that one of those songs you wish you wrote? Like, sometimes people have that. Like, I really wish, oh wish that I, I wrote, wish, like, American I, Pie or, like, you know, I wish I wrote the fucking Star Spangled Banner. You know, you wish I you wish, wrote Blue... I and actually, I it's called Blue, blue Job. <laughs> actually, sir, you're not a real fan. It's actually called Blue Job. So, uh, you just kind of, uh, you kind of revealed yourself as a fucking poser here. Wow, well, uh, the vinyl I bought from Geffen says blowjob. Well, Geffen so. can go fuck themselves. Uh, it's actually blowjob if you have the 1999 CD release, sir. The original fuck OG it. release, it is called blowjob. Well, hey, 
Now, I, now is that well, you can it, you it can die a, on this is hill? Is this your favorite? <laughs> it is my favorite. It's my number one. Blow, blue job, blow job. It's my favorite track by Blink One Eighty Two. Okay. Well, Kyle, what is your favorite Blink-182 song? Moving along. <laughs> well, uh, shit. I, I I guess for lyrical, you know, intricacies, I guess I can't get any better than that, but I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anyone analyze Blue Job so in-depth before, so I applaud you. Hell yeah, dude. That. I love you, Kyle. No, you stole my number one. <laughs> Which the fact is, I'm assuming that was that was your number two then. Uh, it wasn't on my list, but like, let's keep going. <laughs> I don't think Zach could think of another one. Wow, so. you ass! Oh, Man, sorry, dude. Fucking- dude, sorry. When I whispered that, I didn't know you could hear it. On this, and my number one, which we mildly touched on way earlier. Every time I look for you. Ooh, that's a that is a good that is a really good pick. In my opinion, it is the quintessential, perfectly written blink song for the definition of blink. If besides the hits, because everyone's heard the hits, if someone were to tell me to play a blink song that embodies their whole career that wasn't a hit, every time I look for you. The, the basic octave riff in the very beginning, the trade-off lyrically, slash like kind of like, not really a harmony, but trade-off lyrically when it's like the whole young and stupid, and then Tom's underneath it with the left wide open, hearts are wasted, lives are broken. Uh, it's It doesn't get any cleaner, in my opinion, than that. And then that bridge in the end where it's just a repeating octave riff with a couple little filler notes. And then Travis comes in with that big, that big Tom that almost is like the, it's like a, you know, a bass drop. Yeah. Big, like, Boom. And it just kind of keeps going. It's, it's so well-written. And the fact that it wasn't a hit in my head is crazy but i love that it's kind of an unsung hero of the song that like for me it's one of those songs that as soon as i hear that like opening octave riff i can't skip it because that's one of my favorite things to do is repeating octave riffs on a guitar so when i hear that i relate to it so much because that is strictly my songwriting style it's just something that catches your ear it doesn't have to be intricate it doesn't have to be crazy it's just got to be something that you hear that you're like that sounds cool it sounds yeah, layered like too. That. Yeah, and it—I don't know. It's—I can't think of a better song that embodies Blink's sound and style for overall their whole career than that because it's lyrically mature. It's not really dark, but it's mature. Um, it's still straight up pop punk. It's got you know, even like uh, Tom's little. Uh, he has this little picking melody that he plays uh, in between the, like the verses, you know, in between the lines and it's super simple, but it's not, it's, I don't know. I, I can't, if I was a songwriter and if I were ever to write anything close to that song, I'd be so happy with my life. 
that is that is a really like well it it's one of those ones where like you like we were talking about with waggy where lyrically it's really good musically it's like nothing crazy i feel like every time i look for you has both of those things like musically like you were saying really really special and really good and you can like pinpoint what you like about it and then lyrically too great lyrics some some of mark's best on that record and it does have one of my favorite lyrics also but it i love it so much because technically Two words should be flipped, but because they're not, it sounds more unique. And it's the line I repeated with the hearts are wasted, lives are broken. But if you flip those last two words, it's hearts are broken, lives are wasted. Yeah, you're right. And that and one, it sound like is good. Yeah, but it's but it's almost like a, it, it's there, there's trickery to it, but it still makes sense. You're wasting your heart on someone that, is no longer around. You're wasting your your love for someone, and you're 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 breaking apart. You're falling apart. Your life is crumbling because you can't have this person. I like that. That's a that that really is a good song, and that's a really good like like analyzing it. That's a really good breakdown of it. I just had a thought yeah. too. Let me know. Is this crazy? Imagine if that was the album opener. Could you see that opening take off your pants and jacket? Because I'm thinking about, like you were saying, like the build-up and the opening, too. I almost think that could have been a good album opener. I've said it before that it would probably be a good album opener to, like, other friends. But at the time, I was like, you know, you know, like I said earlier, like, don't tell me that it's over. It, it has so much more of a punch in the face. But since that song isn't technically on the album, if I had to pick something else, I would probably choose every time I look for you because it still kind of has that catchy guitar riff in the beginning that kind of builds it up, but it's not as long. It's not as drawn out. It just, it's something recognizable that you don't like. You're not really like, Oh, well, where's this going to go? It just repeats. And then it just starts right with the lyrics. Yeah. And it's a trade off. It's, it's Mark and Tom singing, which I feel like in my opinion, those songs are the best songs when they're trading off vocals, whether it's verse chorus, or whatever but you get to hear them both shine i like that and that that brings me to my number one which kind of does the same thing as well anthony one moment uh i i didn't weigh in on anything on every time i look for you uh well quit being so goddamn silent blowjob boy oh my god well sorry i just love blowjobs and like to shut up when like or should i I say blue should i say blue job boy so one thing one thing I wanted to mention was that uh, my sister, she's two years younger than me, uh, for a Christmas gift, she got me a tour program for Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, uh, like the 2001 tour program, um, probably like in like, I don't know, 2009 or 10 or so, but uh in the in the program, it kind of gave like song descriptions, like handwritten song descriptions of like what every song was about. And every time I looked for you, Mark said that uh, he actually wrote that song about nothing. Really? Yeah. Wow. Damn, that kind. Of, I actually thought there was gonna be a really good like me, like a deep meaning or something behind it. He's just like he just yeah. fucking wrote it. I he wrote it, in, but I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I can provide. I, I was trying to actually dig the. I put I put you on mute for a moment, but I was trying to dig the program out of my like 
like memorabilia bin. Um, but it's too deep down in there because it was like one of the first things I ever got. Um, but he, I remember the because I I love that song too because it's the American Pie too open. <laughs> I was thinking that. I I love that song, but the thing is, uh, he wrote that song about nothing. Which that's, that's not crazy. the only one then, because fucking rock shows the same kind of thing. They like wrote that shit in like ten minutes. Yeah, Mark wrote rock, rock show and Tom wrote first date in like a day. <laughs> there's a yeah yeah. There's a really funny in the uh, in one of the, I don't know what one it would be. They've pressed it so many times, but there's a pressing of take off your pants and jacket for like an anniversary year. And uh, Mark Mark kind of talks about the writing of that, and it, and it's so funny how he explains that of them going home and writing rock show and first date because it's basically like they were pissed because they looked at it, take off your pants and jacket was done, and they're like all proud of it, and then the labels like yeah. we need more hits, and they're like you want a fucking hit, we'll give you the stupidest like basically that they're like if you want a hit, we're gonna go write like the dumbest watered not maybe not watered down, but you know just really no nonsense, just songs, just kind of filler. And they do it and it ends up becoming like two of their biggest songs. Yeah. But maybe that also goes back to what we've been saying is when they don't overthink things, that's when they're best. So maybe that's another good example of it is the less they care, the better the song. There's no pressure. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's no pressure to it. And I, I think that, I think that helps them. Which also would go to maybe why Neighborhoods wasn't as good. There's a lot of pressure there when you break up for five years, you get back together, and there's, you know, droves and droves of fans who want a fucking reunion album. You know, they want they want something, and there's probably a lot of pressure there, you know, to be to be completely fair to them. But Well, any any uh anything else for every time I look for you? That that is a really good song. Any other uh any other comments or anything? great song great fucking song (laughs) all right well my number one then and lyrically nothing super special this is another example of just a feeling but uh always been one of my favorites dyson terry gary far from yeah far from like lyrically anything crazy good but there's something about that song forever when i say forever this is always like putting this list together, I feel like was tough for all of us, and I had trouble thinking of four songs. But I always know my number one. This has been my number one song of of theirs since I heard it, and it's one of my all time favorite songs from any band. And it's funny because I'll tell people that, and a lot of times I think people are waiting for, you know, normally your favorite song something really deep or obscure. This that it's like, no, nah, it's that Blink One Eighty Two song where he tells everyone's their mom's a whore, like. That that's just my favorite one. Like like no, nothing deep, nothing crazy. It's like I acknowledge that you know it's it's far from like you know any any kind of landmark or anything for them. But it's just what they do best. Like to me, I think one of the things I love about it is the brattiness of that song. It's so Tom is so just has that. There's it's snotty, it's bratty, it's youthful. It goes back to like what we were talking about with "Please Take Me Home" with kind of those like. It's that truly is a demented lullaby. When you talk about that, I mean, look at the chorus. Like, all he's doing is basically rhyming shit. But you know what? I sing along every time, and it's catchy. Like, it just shows. It shows their strong suits. Where it's like, hey, we're not always writing the most deep lyrics, but musically, this is great. It's a feeling because it's another one. It's nothing crazy. It's three chords. I mean, it's fucking DGA. It's a one four five, 
and then it changes up a little bit in like the bridge but it's like nothing about that song is crazy you know there's nothing even production wise i don't think that's not one of those songs where there's a lot going on there either like you know there's not like synth underneath there's not like hand claps shit's not really layered it's just a really good song and it's also that good trade-off between the two because mark has that great I guess whatever you, the pre-chorus, the pre-chorus in that second verse when he comes in is just great. I mean, and that's another one too, where you just like, you, you forget, like you want to talk about a snotty song. They say, fuck, I don't know how many times in that song, like even, even the way they say yeah. it, like the way Mark just says like, fuck the guy, like, it's just so good. Everything about it is them like just as a good fucking pop punk band. Like it's that, that song to me reminds me why I fell in love with them in the beginning. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like the later era stuff. It wasn't even the really early stuff. It's right there where they're just a really good fucking pop punk band. Like that's all that's all there is to it. There's not there's not much else to say for that for me at least besides it's just such a good goddamn pop punk song. That that to me kind it's the same thing with Alistair like somewhere on Fullerton where I go that to me represents what they were doing as a band and i think dyson terry gary does the same thing if you were to if you were to ask a song that like represented like an era of that band obviously not maybe say 2003 it's not the best representation of blink 182 but from like the pop you know from like the pop punk era of everything leading up to enema of the state that that to me is all of it it has the joking parts um, you know, they're the, but they still play around a little bit. Like it, it's just, it's so, I don't know. It's so fucking good. That's all I can say. It's so fucking good. And I've always loved that song too. So that's the other thing. It's like, since I was thir- 12 or 13, whenever I first heard it, it's been one of my all time favorite songs, like from anyone. It's just so goddamn yeah. good. The, the, my first two favorite songs after listening to, uh, take off your pants and jacket in full besides Adam's songs, just cause that's like the first song I ever heard from them. Dysentery Gary and the party song were the two songs. that I was like, Holy crap. The, this band is legit. And yeah, the opening guitar riff is, I, I don't know for blink riffs, like even though it's not a hit and they never really played it live, you know, like that, that's such an iconic riff in my mind. It really, you know what? It's funny because you're right. It they never played it live much. Like I, you know, there there's some bootlegs out there, but I've heard very few. You know what's funny? They I think they played it more like during the self titled era. I think anytime I've heard it live were like self titled shows, which is is kind of weird when you think about it. But yeah, like that is one of the best, and I think to me, yeah, one of the, one of their best riffs. But you're right. It's it they didn't play it live. It's not a hit. It's not. It's not really a song that you. Like it, for as good as it is, it doesn't really get the attention that you would think would be on it, you know. And that yeah, it was on my list. Like that was one of like my honorable mentions. Like I have a shit ton of honorable mentions. And, oh, and we can like, we can get into those too. Oh man, how much time do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Zach, uh, how about you? I mean, Dyson, Terry, Gary, any anything to say about this one? I think I'm a lyric guy because I I I'm just. I love. I mean, blowjobs your favorite, so we got that. <laughs> Yo, fuck you, dude. Um, you you'd be kidding yourself if you didn't say you love blowjobs. So fuck you. <laughs> so, uh, Dyson Terry Gary, life just sucks. I, I lost, lost the, the war. one. I lost the one. It's war, dude. War rhymes no, with one. war. No, it's war. One. 
Look it up, dude. Obviously, you're not a real Blink fan. Fuck you. Now I got to look this. God damn it. Dude, I used to think it was one as well, but I think it's... Wait, we got one more person here. What camp are you in right now, Kyle? Am I a fucking idiot or is Zach? No, no, literally, I've sang both lyrics numerous times. I used to think it was what he's saying, but it's not. I've almost exclusively said it was always I lost the one, but then eventually I realized that I lost the war, but now that I hear war, I can't hear one anymore. Dog, I Zach, according, if you put in Dyson Terry Gary lyrics, this is what my boy Google says. And, I mean, if you want to front with Google, that's all on you. But uh, they say that uh, it, it is, in fact, fuck this place, I lost the war. I hate you yeah. all. Your mom's a whore. Where's my dog? Because girls are such a drag. Okay, so that's the outro. That's the outro. But They don't sing it a second time. No, look in the first verse or the chorus, the first chorus. Got a lot of heart. Wait, what am I looking for, though? Life life just sucks. I lost the one. Oh, wait a second. I forgot that that was in the chorus, too. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I take it back. You're right, dude. The outro is where they say that. I thought we were talking about the outro. No, you're right. In the chorus, they are saying I lost the one. Yeah, this song's just fucking good. Can we all agree it's a good fucking song? Is is, is it crazy? So it's it's not so left field like I like I like what you guys picked like I don't know overall kind of looking back at what at, at what we said were our favorites I mean were there any that surprised you like like because you guys had some songs that surprised me that you had on your list but did you surprise yourselves at all when you went like holy shit I didn't realize I like this song as much as I do were there any of those when you were thinking about what your favorites were um for me like that's a lot of like my uh my honorable mentions that I have because like what I've been doing is, since we talked about this was like, I listened to just like the complete discography of blank and just kind of went back on old feelings. I'm like, man, I really love this song. Why did I love it? Like, you know, trying to re remember like what got me into certain things. And like, I'm not going to go into major detail on like every song that I'll just take forever. But like, I'm just saying the song titles like Wendy Clear, Online Songs, uh, Dumpweed, uh, Not Now, Roller Coaster, Dark Side. And one that really surprised me that I totally forgot about, like lyrically, but the name has always stuck out, Wrecked Him. Yes. That's an old school that one. Song, yeah, that song almost broke my list. So I put it on an honorable mention and then the party song, Even If She Falls. And Dustin Terry Gary. Very, very well, I nice. To, I'll have to tell you, Kyle, you said wrecked him. Zulu almost made my list. Oh, shit. Yeah, Another nice and, old school one. Yeah. It's on the same EP. They came to conquer mm-hmm. Uranus. But, uh, okay. no, that's a great, that is a great EP, though. That's another one people kind of, people don't think sleeper. about it. It's a sleeper. It's a sleeper for sure. It is a sleeper. And actually, Zach, like, you know, as, as Kyle was just talking about some of his honorable mentions, I know you got some. What are your honorable mentions here? You're going to hate me, but I, I talked about, you know, going to Boy Scout camp and not hearing music for a week. I love all the small things. Hey, I don't fucking hate one. you. That's a good one. Hey, we're going to progress from that. But I love uh, Time to Break Up because the yep. first, like, serious like beautiful girl i dated in middle school that broke up with me i was like wow like 
that was my first beautiful girlfriend, I was like, wow, I'm never going to date another beautiful girl ever again. Uh, I was like 12. <laughs> um, Life's over, man. I was like, life is over. <laughs> um, but then like, I remember like putting that on after school and just like blasting time to break up. Oh, hell like yes. playing along to it and just being like sad as fuck, like playing along to it. But, um, I don't know. Time to break up was definitely an honorable mention. Um, Zulu was a good one. Um, yeah. no, I, of course I mentioned before Benoit balls. That's a, <laughs> that's a good one. I showed a kid yeah, that I'm so fucked up. <laughs> I know. Uh, I showed I showed a kid that song on the way to a track meet, and he was like, "Wow, this song's hilarious!" And I'll like our teacher rode with us for some reason. She was like, "Can I hear?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> That's probably a good. That was probably a good reaction. No. I, I just said yeah. no, um, but I don't know. Um, Letters to Elise, the cover they did for MTV oh, wow. for the Untitled album, I feel like that's a really good cover, and I feel like they should have put that on, like, the greatest hits, at least, like, done a studio version of that, because, like, I really love that cover. It makes you wonder, you know, after, after uh, uh, Kyle, you mentioned Not Now, and I started thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah. what would they have sounded like on the next record? Because I guess that's the closest taste we have to it, right? I mean, that's that's the last song anyone heard from them. I don't know if that was a like self-titled B side or where it was. That... It, was. Oh, it was, it was a self-titled B side for oh. sure. Yes. See, and I wonder like, I, I, I almost wonder if they're going to go more that way. Cause I mean, it sounds like self-titled, but at the same time, it's almost even more mature. You know what I mean? Like it's getting even more mature in a good way, but like, it would be interesting to see what else would have came after that. I think, you know? Yeah. Especially because like, that would have entailed that no angels and airwaves would have happened at that point. So like, I can only imagine like what Tom's thought process would have been on say, like, I'm assuming some of those AVA songs were probably, they were originally as early next blink demos in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So it would be interesting to see like songs, like I'm going to say like, uh, maybe like the war or do it for me now. I was just How about those to say that. Kind of out as like blink songs. Cause I can hear those as blink songs, but they'd be so different that it would maybe be unrecognizable. Do it for me now. I still, I mean, obviously it's not him, but that those backing vocals towards the end that hold on to me sounds like Mark. That mm-hmm. to me, that sounds just like Mark singing it. And I could definitely hear that as a Blink-182 song, you know, maybe, yeah, like, little, yeah. little more stripped back, maybe less Cynthian stuff, but, like, that totally, I could have heard that, including on an album with, like, Not Now, that totally would have fit yeah. on there, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it would have been more reined in, I think. I think it would have been some of the influences Tom had with, uh, or has with Ava, but kind of more toned back, you know, where it would have been like, hey, dude, this is still Blink-182, like, you know, you can bring those ideas in, but it's like, we're not, like, changing our sound you know entirely I, I i think that would have yeah been interesting to see where he would have went if he still maybe had that like hey i want to kind of go in this direction but you know yeah having yeah. to speak to other people because obviously with angels and airwaves that's his band so even though there's other guys in it like adam willard probably doesn't tell him hey man i don't like this li-. you know what i mean like 
those guys probably mm-hmm. have less say in going, we should sound like this or that. Whereas in Blink-182, you know, they're, the, the Mark has more say. As much as I loved early Angels and Airways, part of the problem with me, with it, was just the fact that, like, there was, it was so, there was so much to think about, like, visual, like you, you, you know, because you said it, it was an art project. It wasn't just music. He wanted to do all these visual things as well. So, like, having to, like, picture, like, what was in his head and, like, decipher, like, what it all means, it was too much. Like, lyrically and musically, yeah, it was cool, but, like, you couldn't fully relate, like you said, about the man in space. Like, it's cool, but there's no, like, I don't know, you couldn't really feel it, like, to the lyrics. You had to dig deeper. No, you don't turn on, like, like, yeah, like, if someone breaks your heart, you don't really go, you don't go put on, like, I'm gonna the turn war. on love part two. Yeah, like you don't really do. Yeah, you're right, man. Like you don't you don't put love part two on. Like it's not really something you go do if you're trying to relate to music. Like to me, Angels and Airwaves do serve their purpose. Like late night drives, great. We don't need to whisper. Sounds oh, great when you're ooh. driving at night. Ooh. You know, but or like or when the sun's going up. That too, yeah. That's another. That would be another good one. Like, there's a good time and place. Can I make for that an stuff. honorable mention? Do it up, dog. Yeah. That that's not Blink One Two related. When the sun's coming up, a sunrise. I love to put on "Take This to Your Grave" by Paul Boy. Ooh, it, <laughs> really? I didn't. I've never thought of that as a sunrise album. That's my sunrise album. Shit, that'll wake you up, dude. It's a good. It's a sunrise album. That's a good record, but, uh, it's a beautiful record. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, so, you know, I guess, I guess as we're closing up here, I mean, we, I feel like we've gotten really in depth with our love of Blink-182 and whatnot. And, uh, everyone probably gets a good, I don't know. It's a good idea. Like, I feel like what I like is everyone was fairly diverse. I think like it, everyone liked shit yeah. from different eras and whatnot, which is cool. Cause it would have sucked if all of us got on here and, all our favorite songs were all like off Enema of the State or something. That that would be that'd be quite shitty, honestly. But thankfully that didn't yeah. happen. But as we close up yeah, here, no. I don't know, you get you got any any like any other shit you want to add about the band or why the fuck you love them or any any of that beautiful stuff? Zach, do you have any beautiful oh. words to give us? One of the things that drew me to Blink One Two was the guitar tone. And uh, I was like, why does it sound so good? And uh, I did a little research, and I found out that he was using the Seymour Duncan Invader, of course. And uh, it, it actually all depends on like what guitar you have, and like kind of like even like what neck you have on your guitar. And um, I, I just realized that like you need to have like the Seymour Duncan Invader in like a rosewood neck guitar. And like to make that sound like the Blink One Eight Two sound that you want, I I just really feel like that that's the ideal sound that I wanted when I was a kid, and that like I always wanted to achieve. And if anyone's listening, and they want to achieve the Blink One Eight Two tone, you just need to throw a Seymour Duncan Invader with a rosewood neck guitar, and you can just achieve that tone. This motherfucker just gave away all the secrets. I'm giving away secrets because I wanted those secrets when I was a kid. No, I'm with you, man. I mean, to, to this day, still my favorite, my fucking favorite guitar tone, I would say, of anyone. It's still still one I try to emulate. And, uh, you know, I think I think what makes him good, too, um, I was just discussing this with another musician who just was not classically trained, just kind of taught themselves. 
And it's like, when you do that, I feel like you end up, that's how you find your own style. And I think that's the thing with Tom. I, I think if Tom knew music theory or was like a really technical player, he wouldn't be Tom DeLong. Like his playing was basically influenced because he really couldn't play. You know, he kind of taught himself. And I think what he ended mm-hmm. up, you know, what he ended up doing, which is funny now, has influenced, you know, generations of, of multi-generations at this point of uh, people. But really at the end of the day, the whole reason he's so good is because he didn't really take guitar lessons, you know? Same with Mark, really. I think a lot of what makes Mark good is that he's not the world's greatest bass player, you know? But he's Mark Ha. He plays well for being in Blink-182. He does exactly what he needs to do in that band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just it, it works so well. For whatever reason, you put them together and that, that formula just works, you know? It, and going off of what you said about, like, Tom kind of doing his own thing guitar-wise, I, I heard a great interview that featured Matt Skewell when he was already in Blink, but like in the early stages, the record wasn't done. He was just doing that first initial tour. And they asked him like, you know, what's it like playing, you know, in Blink and playing these songs and this and that. And one of the things he said, which I thought was super interesting, was that he actually had to like almost go back and like relearn a different style of guitar playing because Tom's style wasn't his style. It wasn't, Matt Skiba's normal style of playing and riffing. So he almost had to go back and not just learn the songs, but he had to learn how to do a different style of picking pattern and this and that. And with me being like a huge blink freak, like especially as a guitar player, I'm like, oh, Tom's style is so easy. Like it's the stupidest thing. But when you go back and look at someone else who like had their own style or learned classically, and then you have to pull them back and almost play blink style, you have you almost have to rework yourself because it isn't traditional by any means. No, you're you're totally right on that, and you know I I do I think that's what makes that's what makes him so good, and it also does show that you know that, that to give him that credit, like you're saying, where it's like it's it's not easy. Like oh, he's not classically trained, so this is easy shit to play, and it's like no, it's not. You can get you can play sloppy, distorted power chords, but it doesn't mean you're going to sound like them. Like there's more to it, you know. There's more of a of a method than maybe people realize, you know, maybe even more than Tom realizes, but that's how he plays. And he has, you know, he has his own style. It's, it's a lot like, like Johnny Ramones like that, where you go, the Ramones, like, that's not hard shit to play. And you're like, yeah, on paper, it's not hard to play, but if you're trying to sound exactly like him, good luck. Cause he's, you know, he still has I a style of his own. Downstroke entire album. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And, and bar chords too, like Johnny Ramones fucking downstroking and all doing bar chords. And it's like, yeah, he's doing more than you think. Like there's more that, to it than than you know fuck oh my god dude I those those speeds he played at I can't down I can't fucking and actually same with Tom it's like some of those tempos I can't fucking down pick like that just all down picking yeah. and palm muting and shit that's a lot harder than people give credit for that's what I love about about fucking Blink One Eighty Two that that it, the same band that wrote you know the self titled record is the same band that wrote Dude Ranch. Like, they have that, where it's like, they make fun of, they call themselves crappy punk rock. Like, they make fun of themselves. Those guys know they're not, like, the greatest fucking musicians of all time. And that's what makes them great. Like, if they weren't self-aware, and they thought they were dream theater, yet they still sounded like Blink-182, you'd go, this is terrible. Like, these guys think they're self-important, but they're writing songs, you know, they're writing, like, songs like Benoit Balls. But they don't do that. Like, they, they fucking make fun of themselves, too. Like, they're aware. They're aware they're not the world's greatest musicians, but like you said, they're great at what they do. You know, there's 
because the the counterpoint of that is they've sold millions of records and are filthy rich so they also know that while they're not the greatest they know that what they do obviously works and connects with people because they're one of the biggest goddamn bands in the world you know definitely not an obscure we're not talking about an obscure band here you know yeah and i definitely adopted that mindset to a fault of like being really self-deprecating and yes you know i make fun of myself a lot but like i do it for the sake of a laugh and i do it as a joke and yes i don't want to take myself seriously but i also you know you know i am who i am and i'm not gonna like not say a fart joke if i find it's funny in the in the moment like I'll say it and I'll laugh. And if you don't laugh at me, cool, no big deal. But I'm not going to like, I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't laugh at my joke. I'm not going to be mad at you if you hate Blink-182. Like, that's cool. Like, like what you like. But when you're like, this is the best band ever because everything they write is just astronomically better than everything else. And their lyrics are so deep and this and that. Like, cool. If you have that feeling, fine. But like, you should also be able to like, crack a joke about them like you know them enough to be like hey remember like when they wrote that song you know the guy pissed himself behind the drum kit because he couldn't you know finish recording the drums right you know like it's okay to acknowledge that shit and not be like oh no 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 shit like that never happened my band's too good oh yeah no totally i mean that's the band would not be good if it was like that. You know what I mean? Like if you took them that seriously, then then they wouldn't be the same band. And you're right. There are people who take like, like their, their oh. sacred fucking band. And it's like, you can't say a bad word about them. Look at where I'm sitting here telling you they're one of my all time favorite bands. I've been sitting here shitting on all these things about them. I've been telling you what's wrong with them, you know, but I also say what I like and what's right about them. Cause it's like, you should be able to do that. And I think those guys are all cool too. Those are also guys who you could probably say some of that too. And they're understandable. You know, once again, they don't think they're the greatest. Mark doesn't think he's the world's greatest bass player. He knows, he knows what he does on bass and he does it well. <laughs> but it's like, I feel like Blink fans and Metallica fans are the most fickle fucking fans. You're going to find fans <laughs> on both sides that are like, they are the greatest of all time and they can do nothing wrong. And then you're going to find the fans that'll be like, yeah, Metallica, I literally love these albums, but the fucking snare tone on St. <laughs> Anger was terrible. Oh, you hell know? yes. Like, yeah, like, I love Blink, but, like, I know, like, you know what? <laughs> California is, like, a bottom-of-the-barrel record. Like, their their deluxe version, like, the with the second album, that was miles beyond anything they did on the original release. I do want to get in. If you guys would like to, uh, if you want to plug any of your shit, like your socials or anything, you're more than welcome to here. I don't, I don't know if you would like to or not, but if people want to find you online, you guys want to fucking tell people. Yeah, sure. I used to be super fucking cool back in the day when Twitter first came out. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm at Kyle Steven with a PH uh on twitter and the kyle steven on instagram uh but uh, i'm not cool not anymore i'm not in a band no nah, he's fucking good don't listen to this guy he's cool if he wasn't cool we wouldn't have him on here yeah kyle you sound <laughs> fucking cool except for like stealing my number one so that's cool but no really cool. you know great minds think alike sometimes that dude getting jobs that's the perfect <laughs> Now, Zach, someone <laughs> someone hears this and they go, "I I need to uh, I need someone to circumcise my young son." Um, where can they find you? 
so they can find me at Zach Gorsheski on SoundCloud. Well, that's Ooh. fucking cool. Um, if if people <laughs> if people want to follow my shit, just go follow at Powercord Hour Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, fucking Spotify. Uh, hit me up powercordhour at gmail dot com. Let me know if you enjoyed this shit or if I don't know. Let 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 me know if this is fun. Or you go, you guys are fucking assholes. Let let us know, and I will share the feedback with these two. And uh, and and I don't know. This was fucking fun, and I hope people listening uh, enjoy this because I feel like it was fun. But there we go. That's our That'd fucking episode. Yeah. yeah, that that was yeah. fun. That that scene. <laughs>